Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. This one from a special secret location in Las Vegas. Won't tell you where, somewhere in Las Vegas. Very, very secret location. And here I am. <laughs> so, sorry for the late start tonight, but I had a little trouble switching secret locations from one to the other. But here I am, and I'm ready to do the show. We don't have a co-host tonight, but you never know when one might drop by. And number of things to cover tonight. Of course, it is the World Series of Poker, and there's always drama at the World Series of Poker. Always things that are happening during this time of year. So I've got that to talk about. And uh, other stories within the world of poker and gambling, as always every week we have on this show. If you want to play in the free roll tonight... Good news, you have not missed it. It is after 7.10, but you have not missed it. It actually is starting at 7.40 tonight, Pacific Time. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen. It's completely free. You have to register a separate account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. But in order to qualify for the free money, you need to have a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum dated June 1st, 2014 or before. Uh, people are complaining my sound's too low. Interesting. My sound is too low somehow, and I cannot figure out why. Huh. Let's see if I can turn up my volume in any way. It's interesting. I can't hear myself that well either. Hmm. Well, this is a good start to the show. Try this now. Ah, there we go. There we go. I don't know. This isn't good. <laughs> I think what's happening here is that the old microphone, uh, the old headset I had for when I go to certain secret locations is not working very well anymore. The, the normal headset I use is okay, but this one seems to be having problems. Let's see if it's, it's... Is it better? Okay, if it's better, that's good. 
I think that's better. They're saying, all right, good. I'm not at uh, Choice Center. Some people are wondering. I apologize that it's it's soft like this. I'm not sure. Sh- this isn't the usual headset. This is the old headset. Uh, the other one I use, uh, my new equipment, is not really portable. It's too big to carry around. So when I leave that particular secret location, uh, I have to take this headset, and it's it's kind of flaky, apparently. Try one more time. Uh-oh. Well, we're going to have to do with it this way. I guess uh, turn up the headphone, turn up your headphones to hear me if you have to. So I apologize for that. Next week it won't be a problem. I don't think it will be. So we're just going to have to live with it. I agree the sound quality is uh, is not the best right now. Hockey guy saying in chat, we should start every show with 15 minutes of fail. Oh, wait, we already do. Yeah, that, that's pretty accurate. We do. So I apologize for the lack of sound quality. It's actually very important to me that the sound quality is good. Try to put the microphone closer to my mouth. Is that any better? Jeez, what a mess. Okay, so let's get going here. You know, if I'm not loud, that's the way it is. You can just picture I'm whispering softly in your ear. So, again, for the free roll, starts at 740. It's no limit. Hold them. We need some additional donations. Otherwise, the prize pool is going to be quite small this week. It's 30 bucks, uh, $10 from Trader SHKY, and 20 bucks from Fatman548. Currently, $30 prize pool. Uh, if, if we don't get better than that, the prizes will be... 20 for first and 10 for second, and that's it. If we do get more than that donated, then uh, I'll adjust the prize pool during the show. All right, if you want to get a hold of me during the show, you can probably be louder than me this time because uh, let's see if this is better. I just changed uh, Skype to see if Skype can auto-adjust my microphone. But uh, if you want to get a hold of me during the show and maybe talk louder than me because you won't be muted, uh, the phone number is 775-FRAUD55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line, which is an old 70s telephone sitting on top of Mount Charleston, Nevada, close to Las Vegas. 702-430-1808. Make sure to show your caller ID when you call me. If you want to text me, it's a special text phone number. Can you, you cannot call this number, but you can text me on it, 702 702- Six two three one four two three. I will read your text during the show unless you ask me not to. Seven zero two six two three one four two three, and you can even text me before or after the show. I will get them too. In fact, I'll read some of these shortly. You can also talk to me in the chat room. Go right into the chat room. Oh, we just got a donation anonymously to uh, to put it up to uh, fifty bucks. Fifty bucks now. We have for the free roll. So 20 from Anonymous, 20 from Fatman548, who really is fat, by the way, and $10 from Trader SHKY. Thank you to you three. The new prize pool is 25 for first, 15 for second, 5 for third, 5 for fourth. There we are. 25, 15, 5, and 5 for a total of $50. Thank you. I appreciate it. S-double, I can hardly read your words in the chat room because of your font. 
So you should change it if you can. If you want to talk to me, as I was saying, in the chat room, click on the chat button near the top of the screen. You need a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert form to get in there, and you need a Flash-compatible device, meaning you can't do it on an iPhone or iPad. I apologize for that. So, um... Here's the agenda for the week. And you never know what else will come up, but here's our agenda. I'm going to give you a World Series of Poker update of my own. I've played two events since last week. Ran deep in both of them. Both of them, I made it past 80% of the field or more. I will tell you how much more in each of those events I got past and what I came out with. Uh, also, I have some interesting gossip related to Eric Seidel, who is at one of my tables, and I even talked a bit of trash to him regarding Full Tilt. Last week, talked about Dale Phillip, a.k.a. Dale Roxy, and I was pretty critical about the guy, and I said that he deserved to get fired from PokerStars for being an online pro there after he obnoxiously over-celebrated during a goal during the World Cup at a viewing party that PokerStars had where he supposedly flipped people off. And I said, yeah, if you're going to act that way wearing a PokerStars patch, you deserve to get fired. Well, he posted a video of what he actually did, and that completely changed my mind. So now I'm on Dale's side. We'll talk about that. Well, something we talked about after the first week of the World Series was a disturbing story that an older guy who ran the single-table satellites at the Rio, was extorting people for money in order to make them go. Basically, if you wanted to play a single-table satellite there, he wouldn't start your game until you bribed him to do so, even though you already paid your rake, even though you, you paid what was asked of you to pay to start it by the Rio. This guy wanted additional money in his pocket to start the games, and this was reported on 2 Plus 2 by a guy named PSU Mike, and I talked to Seth Polanski, who's a VP at Caesars Entertainment, and Seth confirmed that, yes, this really happened. PSU Mike's report on this on 2 Plus 2 was correct, and as a result... This guy was fired. So that was uh, in a previous week of the show. We talked about that. So why am I bringing it up again? Well, PSU Mike himself, who told a truthful account of what happened and got this old man fired for what he really did. So PSU Mike did nothing wrong here. He reported something that was going on at the Rio that was bad, that was against their rules, that was actually against the law, and got someone fired rightfully for doing so. Except, we found out something this week about PSU Mike. PSU Mike is a scammer himself. That's right, the one who reported this scam, the one who was so indignant about this scam going on at the Rio, wasn't just a scammer, but was a career scammer who was just at the Las Vegas airport scamming people weeks after being arrested for doing the same thing at the Los Angeles airport. We're going to talk about this amazing story. It's not that amazing, because I, I, I think it's one of these things... You know how some of the like strongest anti-gay activists are gay themselves? The people who like seem to be most obsessed with the topic of Haiti on gays tend to be 
closet gays themselves in many cases. I, I think it's kind of like that. The people who often yell the loudest about scammers, and I, I don't point the finger at me, because I, I yell a lot about scammers too. But I think you know I'm not a scammer. I've been around forever, and there's never been one accusation against me for scamming. But a lot of these other people who act so indignant about scamming, sometimes it's to distance themselves from what they really are so people trust them more, so they can scam more. Who knows, maybe I'm running a 14-year-long con on all of you, and one day I'm going to scam everyone here. That'd be pretty good if I did. Well, not good for you. But anyway, PSU Mike, yeah, he was a scammer, and we'll talk about that. Interesting side note to that Rio story. Uh... Branded Cantu, he was in a fight at the World Series. And you're saying, ah, I don't want to hear about that again. You talked about that on another show. You talked about Brandon Cantu and Jeff, Jeff uh, Lissandro getting into it at the World Series over some kind of money-related matter. And uh, there were reports of uh, actual punches thrown, which I heard there actually weren't, but that was the initial report. So why would I talk about that again? Well, I'm not. I'm talking about another fight involving Brandon Cantu at the World Series. How long till this guy gets banned? How long till they've had enough of him? So we'll talk about what happened this time. It involved another bracelet winner, just like last time with Lissandro, who won three bracelets in one year. Uh, This is a guy who has one bracelet that he won last year, and he got in a fight with Lissandro. I'll give an update. In fact, I'll do this first because I have some new information about the Negranu and Ivy bracelet bet. We are still alive. We're in pretty good shape. And also, Phil Ivy is playing fewer events than initially planned. And we'll talk about that and why. Well, a lot of you dream probably of winning the World Series of Poker main event. I know I do. I know that if I won the main event, I'd feel like I was in heaven. Not just because all the money, but just you know, it's just such a an honor to win that. You you just become uh, an instant poker legend for winning it, especially these days. And of course, the ten million dollars is very nice too, along with whatever sponsorships they give you, uh, and that you can pretty much carry over for life, pr- provided you don't screw up too bad. But um, closest I ever got to doing it was. 87 people away four years ago when I made 88th place. But, uh, you know, I've never been super close, but that's pretty close out of uh, 7,000 plus people. Well, Jonathan Duhamel won that same year, 2010. He did what I was hoping I would do. Jonathan Duhamel probably felt like he had everything going for him. He won the main event. Um... He had a good reputation. He had a pretty girlfriend. Everything seemed good. Until one day he was at home with his girlfriend. He got a knock on the door. Two guys said they were here to deliver a package to him. He opened up the door and they forced their way in, beat him up, tied him up, and made him disclose the location of his safe and how to get into it. And they stole his World Series of Poker main event bracelet, and they stole cash, and they stole an expensive watch. They stole whatever they could get there. Well, at first it seemed like uh, 
this was just bad luck. He was just targeted because who he was. But it turned out that his girlfriend actually was in on the whole thing and set the whole thing up. This was in 2011. And it was confirmed. The girlfriend did it. She was convicted. This occurred in Canada. So uh, she was convicted by a, a court in Canada. It's pretty bad, you know, setting up your boyfriend for guys to barge in and beat him up. And they had text messages of her signaling them to come and setting the whole thing up. I mean, she was really uh, the ringleader to this whole thing. And she obviously abused his trust to make it happen. It's a lot worse to to set up your boyfriend who trusts you uh, for this sort of thing than just to randomly attack some guy. Not like randomly attacking some guy is good, but it's even worse when it's someone you you know and trust and and you think cares about you. And in reality, they're setting you up to get beaten up and robbed. I mean, what what a nightmare of a story. So anyway, uh, that's an old story from three years ago. But what's not so old is the fact that his girlfriend... This happened in 2011. His girlfriend, now ex-girlfriend, is out of jail. Yeah, love that uh, Canadian legal system. I know the American legal system has uh, plenty of problems as well. So don't don't take this as a defense of the American legal system. I've seen some horrendous sentences in some states especially that are just amazingly light given the circumstances. I, I think the worst sentence I've ever seen, and, and forget the not guilty convictions like the stupid thing with OJ and ones like that, I'm talking about where the person is convicted of what they did and they get the lightest sentence imaginable. I think the worst one I've ever seen was a woman who was tricked by Nigerian scammers. So you you know she's not too bright in the first place. She was tricked by Nigerian scammers. And uh, she didn't want her husband finding out. And when he found out they had an argument about it, as you would expect if you found out your wife just gave away the family money to Nigerian scammers. So he had an argument, but he didn't touch her. He didn't hit her. They just argued, like any couple would in that situation. Then he turned his back to walk away from her, and she shot him in the back with a shotgun. And he died. How long did she get for that? Six years. And didn't serve all of it. Can you imagine? Just outright murders her husband because he's mad at her about the Nigerian scam she fell for and gets six years and doesn't even serve all of it? So that that was the worst one I think I've ever seen as far as... uh, There was no doubt she did this. She got six years. But uh, this is pretty bad um, given the severity of what happened there, given that she set him up um, she's out of prison already. This happened in 2011. Talk a little bit more about that at the time when we get to that story. Here's even a worse story, not about uh, lack of justice, but about crime. I never like reading or hearing about crime against poker players because, uh, you know, one, unless it's someone who's a really bad person, they don't deserve it, and and two, it, it hits close to home since I'm a poker player myself. And given that we are known to have cash, given that uh, uh, there's a lot of stories about this person won that 
you know, this much amount of money, you know, we kind of become targets in that way. Well, it's not clear what happened yet, but Johannes Strassmann is missing right now in the country of Slovenia, and he's feared dead or, at the very least, kidnapped. But he's been missing for three days, which isn't a very long time, but uh, it's not like him at all to just disappear for three days and not respond to anyone. Uh, he's never done this before, so people are are very concerned that uh, Jonathan uh, Johannes Johannes Strassmann is either dead or kidnapped, and everyone seems to like the guy too. Finally, I have my editorial tonight. This week's editorial is about something that has probably affected you at one point. Resort fees. Have you ever checked into a hotel and you think you're getting one price, you think you booked for $79, and then you find out the hotel room is actually like $110. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I I have the confirmation right here, it says $79. You made a mistake. They say, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, that's $79 plus tax plus resort fees. So, I am of the opinion that resort fees are a scam. It's not that I just don't like them. I believe they are a scam. I believe they should be illegal. I believe they should be eliminated in the United States and everywhere. They are a scam. They they only exist to trick you. So I'll give my little editorial as to why I feel they're not only bad, but they should be illegal. So that's our... Agenda for tonight, again, if you want to call 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. I'll try to read the chat room, but uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to uh, read the chat room when I'm doing a show by myself, but I'll try. I will try. So, uh, anyway... I am seeing that um, Blue Odom, who's a Canadian, I think he's from Toronto, uh, he's saying that the legal system in Quebec where Duhamel's girlfriend lived and where all this happened is different than the rest of Canada. So I shouldn't condemn the Canadian legal system for this travesty of justice. But we'll get to that later. Someone in the chat room asking, Danny Deadwood is asking, Druff, someone on Twitter said Annette Oberstad looked good at the World Series. Have you seen her? How can this be? Well, I saw her last year, and she lost a lot of weight. She's actually skinny now. Annette Oberstad is not only not fat anymore, she's skinny. Now, I actually thought she was too skinny. I I thought she had the body of like a 12-year-old girl. That's what it looked like to me. But, uh, you know, uh, maybe some of you... Like like really really small girls like that. She is very thin now. Uh, she does look better overall than when she was really overweight. Because the problem was, uh, when you're as short as Annette is, uh, it does not look good when you're very overweight. The shorter you are, the the harder it is to carry weight. And um, Annette is very short. She's probably under five foot, or if she's not, she probably is five foot. So anyway. 
my problem with Annette has never been how she looks. I don't care how Annette looks. I don't care if she's fat or skinny or pretty or ugly. I, I don't care about that stuff. That's not important to me. Uh, what is important to me is that Annette Oberstad first wore a full tilt patch for quite some time after it was clear that full tilt was not being honest with us and didn't have our money anymore. But even worse, she represented Locke for a long time after it became clear that Locke was a scam and had no guilt in doing so. So I I don't like Annette at all, regardless of how she looks today. S-Double saying in chat, fat girls give the best head right behind Jewish girls. So I guess, according to him, a fat Jewish girl would be the best at giving head. Uh, I I haven't found that Jewish girls are any better or worse at giving head, but uh, I have found that... uh, the stereotype of fat girls being the best at it is actually true. And and when I say fat girls, I mean ones that are very fat, not ones that are like a little bit overweight or thick or whatever you want to call that. I'm talking about ones that are very, very overweight. Uh, just in my personal experience, I found it was true that they were the best at doing that. So, it's just my experience, though. Your mileage, of course, may vary. S-Double saying in chat, fat Jewish girls make the worst to marry. Well, I'll tell you, um, I really didn't date that many Jewish girls in my life. I really did not date many Jewish girls. The girl I'm with now is not Jewish. And uh, for a very large percentage of the girls I dated were not Jewish. I I just never got along with most Jewish girls... uh, very much. <laughs> the chat room is so fascinated with this. Uh, Badigoli is asking me, how many really fat chicks have you let blow you dry? I don't know. It, it's been a long time, obviously. But, um, anyway. Enough with that topic. Oh, actually, so someone's saying in chat a different topic, uh, slightly different, that if Ben's mother... My son Benjamin, if his mother's not Jewish, then Ben won't be Jewish. Uh uh uh, you're wrong. Because she's actually a tiny bit Jewish. On her matrilineal side, her uh, her grandmother, her mother's mother was Jewish. So that actually goes all the way down. So if her mother's mother was Jewish, that means her mother is considered Jewish by Jewish law. That means she's considered Jewish by Jewish law. And that means Ben is considered Jewish by Jewish law, even if I were not to be Jewish. So there. Anyway. Let's get to the agenda tonight. You know, someone always requests that I put in the show description when the main content starts because they don't want to hear the usual speeches about the free roll and all that other crap, which I don't blame them. You know, it's kind of repetitive. But I never know whether I should include segments like this in, quote, main content, because it's not really our main content, but then again, you might find it interesting. So, all right, uh, let's get to the topics. World Series of Poker, I hadn't played since, like, June 2nd, Took a long time off from the World Series, about two and a half weeks, and returned for the 1500 Limit event, Limit Hold'em. Nine years ago, I had never played a World Series of Poker e- event ever. In fact, I 
my ent- entire tournament experience in my life was one like $100 buy-in tournament in commerce. That was it. And I didn't cash in it. But other than that, I never played any tournaments ever. Online, live, nothing. Except for that $100 tournament in commerce one time. So I was uh, visiting John D'Agostino and uh, Maria Elena Calabrese, who were uh, dating at the time, and now they're married. And um, they asked me if I was going to play the Limit Hold'em event coming up the next day. And I said, huh? I didn't know there's a Limit Hold'em event. Like, I, I totally wasn't paying attention to the World Series. That's how little I cared about it. And they said, yeah, yeah, tomorrow, $1,500 buy-in, Limit Hold'em. I was like, well, all right. So I entered it. Just threw down 1500 bucks and entered it. I knew a lot about Limit Hold'em being a very frequent Limit Hold'em player over the past four years, but I did not know anything about tournament strategy. I just kind of winged it. I did some things wrong, admittedly, but I I just kind of winged it. I kind of played it like a cash game uh, and and then kind of figured out as I went along about, you know, stack sizes and things like that. They were kind of common sense once you got used to them. Well, anyway, I luckboxed my way into a third-place finish and... I was very happy about that, obviously. Got $116,000. A month later, I entered my second World Series event, the 3,000 Limit Hold'em, and I won it. And that was the start to my World Series career, and I've never done better than those first two tournaments. I've never outdone myself of those two, you know, since those two. I've never done better than those two, ever. It's been nine years. Came close last year, with uh, the fifth place in the Limit Hold'em uh, 5K event, but but still didn't do better. Well, one event that's really been haunting me, and the reason I just told this story, was the 1500 Limit Hold'em. It's been torturing me. Um, I was very excited to come back and play it in 2006. I said, hey, I know more about tournament strategy now. I'm, I'm all ready to dominate again. Maybe I'll win this one this time. Like I was all excited, like I'm going to just own. Well, I got crushed out of it. I was one of the first people out the next time I played it, in 2006. Then they had another 1500 limit hold'em in 2006. I played that, also busted pretty quickly. I played in 2007, and busted again. In 08, busted again. In 09, I busted again. Not only was I busting, I was not even getting very far. I was getting very frustrated. I was learning the other side of variance in that event. Well, in 2010, it started to change. In 2010... I got off to a good start in that event and was the mid-day one chip leader. And I said, all right, well, I'm going to finally cash again. And I, I had visions of winning it, final tabling it, whatever. Didn't cash. 2011. Came back and played the 1500 limit hold'em. Once again, mid-day one chip leader. Once again, did not cash. 2012, I came back and played the 1500 limit hold'em. Once again, midday one chip leader. Once again, did not cash. 2013, 1500 limit hold'em. Played it. Got off to a terrible start. I said, okay, well, I guess I won't be uh, midday one chip leader this year. Wrong. I came back from like 900 chips all the way up to 25K, including this one epic hand where I busted like three people at once. Didn't cash. Midday one chip leader. Fourth year in a row, did not cash. 
as you can imagine, this was really getting on my nerves. I mean, this was worse than just getting smacked out of it at the beginning. Here, every time, I have the false hope of being the midday one chip leader, and then not even cashing. And this is limit hold'em. This isn't no limit where you can have, like, a, a really bad hand against another big stack and lose the whole stack in one shot. You have to lose a whole lot of hands in a row to have this occur. Or just, you know, stop getting cards, and as the blinds go up, just losing every hand and, uh, and going out, which is pretty much what happened to me. So this year, I said at the beginning of the World Series that one of my goals is to cash in the $1,500 limit hold'em. So, I play the 1500 limit hold'em. Get off to kind of a mediocre start. Uh-oh. They're trying to call me. They're trying to call me the secret location. I'm not answering. I refuse. I, I'm busy here. Anyway, at uh, I start off mediocre, and once again, guess what? Fifth year in a row, the midday one chip leader, everybody. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I had 29K from 4,500 at a time when I'm sure nobody else had 29K yet. At a time when 29K was huge. I said, all right, for sure I'm cashing in this one. Well, for the rest of the day, I kind of spun my wheels. I, I didn't really lose, but I didn't really win. And I, I finished the day at 36K after having a high of 42, but I was still well above average. Um, I, I had, I was 25th out of 118 remaining going into day two, and 72 cash. So I looked like in very good shape to cash. But from the second I sat down on day two, I lost. I lost and lost and lost and just took a combination of the worst beats and just uh, the times I wasn't getting beats, I wasn't hitting hands. And with ten players to go to cash, we're at 82 people left, I have the whopping stack of 5K. So I'm back to starting stack basically with with 82 left. So 10 more have to bust, and I have a, like a starting stack. It's a disaster. I was sure once again for the fifth year in a row I'd be midday one chip leader and not cash. Well, well, somehow miracle of miracles, I, I ran it up briefly, got back to 30k, and even though I I didn't win another hand after that, basically, I squeaked into the money. And I wasn't folding to the money by any means, but uh, I did squeak into the money just by managing to last long enough. To make 66th place and get a whopping $2,501 for the min cash from a $1,500 buy-in. I couldn't even double my money. So that was my first event since I returned. And uh, I played the anti-only event yesterday, which is a fun event, and it's very different from normal No Limit Hold'em events, and you have to play it differently. But I got a great start there. I got up to 17k right away. I wasn't chip leader, but I got you know, up to a very nice start, pretty much uh, quadrupling my starting stack. And this is an event it's very important to have chips in. It's very important to have a stack that you can play with. Well, a lot more than I feel than at normal No Limit Hold'em events. Because what happens is a lot of limping in this event. It's actually correct to limp. I won't get into the strategy of it, but you can Google anti-only no-limit tournaments and read up on that strategy. It's correct to limp a lot there. 
even with mediocre hands, even in early position. So um, if you can isolate these limpers with a big stack, and when they don't have the chips to call you down to these isolations, unless they're pulling moves on you, which sometimes people do. Yeah, there's a lot of people trying to uh, limp re-raise the isolators, but the isolators really have a big advantage because a lot of times they do just isolate and just keep taking down these blinds and these limps, and not the blinds, the antis and the limps. Anyway, uh, having chips is important, and I took a brutal cooler with ace-king against aces with an ace on the board against a stack that wasn't big enough to fold against in that spot. And from there, I, I just... Uh, I, I had a short stack for a very long time, but about 80% of the field went down, and I eventually went down too. Standard race, sixes against ace-queen. I lost it, and that was that. So, didn't cash in that one. Cash minimum in the limit hold'em. At the anti-only tournament... I was moved tables so many times. I must have moved like six times. But the final table I was at, the one I busted from, and I was at for a while, Eric Seidel was there. And I was wearing my Poker Fraud Alert hat. And Eric Seidel, as I sat down, like within a minute of me sitting down, says, Hmm, Poker Fraud Alert, what's that? Like, I hear that, and I look up, and it's Eric Seidel saying it. I, like, I can't believe this. Of all people to be asking me, what is Poker Fraud Alert? It's Eric Seidel. And the reason that's so funny is that he was one of the main full tilt pros. He's not one of the people who was actively cheating people. As far as I know, Eric Seidel did not know that full tilt was cheating people, but he still benefited a lot from them cheating people and distributing money to him for years and years and years. He got the money that should have belonged to the players. He didn't realize that's what he was getting, but that's what he got, and he never returned it. So he's not exactly an angel here. So anyway, I wasn't going to give like a real hard time to Eric Seidel, because you know it's not like he was Howard or Chris Ferguson. It's not like one of those guys who actively stole from people. This was someone who was just receiving money that he didn't know was stolen, but then when he knew it was stolen, didn't exactly rush to give it back. In fact, didn't give it back. So... When he asked me, what is Poker Fraud Alert? I answered back, it's a place where we discuss things like full tilt. (laughs) (laughs) And and the whole table laughed, and uh, someone said, ooh, (laughs) like they they were surprised I went there and said that. But uh, Eric took it in good humor. I guess he kind of had to. He said, oh, yeah, I, I guess I should have expected that response. I, I don't know why I even asked. or so, Something like that. Like, he wasn't angry. Or at least he wasn't showing he was angry. He was kind of like annoyed with himself for asking a question like that, knowing that a full tilt answer would come back at him. And I left it at that. I didn't harass Eric or bother him through that tournament. In fact, if I did, he probably wouldn't have been too angry anyway, because he was kicking ass. He had one of the biggest stacks in the whole tournament, and he just kept winning more. Uh, he ended up not doing all that great. He cashed, but not for that big. I think he finished like 58th, and you know, min cash started at 72 there, too. So, a- anyway, while I was there, he was doing great. But I got a little bit of gossip, and I always feel kind of funny about reporting gossip that I hear at the poker table, because even though the person is saying it and not necessarily trying their best to keep what they're saying quiet. They're often they're often saying this stuff to like the person next to them 
and they're not necessarily saying something they want broadcasted everywhere. And um, and someone's trying to call the. Oh, I see the problem. I see the problem. Uh, someone's calling in right now to the show, but I'm not ready to take calls right. Now. You can take. I'll take calls shortly, and then you can, uh, you can call in. I'm sorry about that. So anyway, when I hear some kind of gossip at the table, when I or, I, or something that I can gossip about myself, uh, of course, for you as the listener, it's great if I report everything I hear. But you have to understand, in one way, it kind of makes me a jerk that everything I hear at the poker table, I go and run and report either on the forum or on this show and make things public. Some things are just not meant to be broadcasted to the general public, even if it makes good radio or a good forum post. At the same time, I try to balance this with, one, how big a deal is this really? Does it really matter if I broadcast it? And if the answer is no, then I, I do anyway. Or, two, does this person kind of deserve it? So, and deserving it can be in a few ways. You know, Deserving it can be uh, they've done something bad to poker players in some way, and uh, at the very least, uh, they deserve me to gossip about them. Or maybe it's them confessing to something that they have done. For example, uh, someone who's at the poker table bragging to the guy next to him about how he multi-accounted online. That would be something to report, because that's someone bragging about cheating in a way. So, I always have to balance this. It's always a a judgment call on my part. And of course I have to see these people again and uh you know I don't want to be just known as the gossiping bitch of poker. Well Eric Seidel, while I was not going to give him an extended hard time about full tilt, uh I didn't feel too guilty about reporting anything he would say at the table cuz I still feel that he and all the other pros who kept the money that was actually the player money and realized it was the player money after the fact to not instantly give all that back is wrong. On a previous show, I compared it to a stolen car. If your car gets stolen, if the person who's stole it ends up selling it to someone else, you get the car back, and it's tough luck on the person who bought it. And you would be pissed at the guy who bought your stolen car if he refused to return it to you or tried to make it very difficult to get it back. Because it was your car and he knows it. So it's the same thing with stolen money. They should return the stolen money. They didn't, but they should. So anyway... During the event, Bill Chin walked up to Eric Seidel and said, Hey, I'm interested in what you offered. So Eric said, Okay, well, the minimum's 1%. So I'm thinking, Okay, this is some tournament that Seidel is probably selling pieces of himself. And Bill Chin said, Okay, 1%, let's do 1%, we'll settle later. Okay, cool, okay, bye. And Bill walked away. So then Eric was talking to the guy next to him and explained that this was about the one-drop event. Then the guy asked Eric, well, how much of yourself are you trying to sell? And Eric said that he's trying to sell 70% of the one-drop event, and preferably up to 85%, but that's going to be very difficult for him to do. Now, of course, remember that the one-drop event has a buy-in of... One million dollars. So Eric Seidel didn't want to put up his whole million, and he's trying to sell pieces of himself. I'm not sure if there's a markup or not, but uh, 
He's trying to sell 70%. He commented to the guy, it's a lot harder to raise 700 k on short notice than you might think. So the guy asked, well, wait a minute. I thought you had some backers or something. Why aren't they putting you in this or at least contributing some to the 700 k Now, I didn't know that Eric Seidel had backers, but I guess even someone like Eric Seidel, who's very successful and who made a lot of ill-gotten money from... Full tilt. I guess even then, with the big buy-in events, especially huge buy-in events like uh, the one million, uh, one-drop event, and some of these other huge ones like uh, that 250k Aussie High Roller event, I guess if you're going to play a lot of those, you do need backers, unless you're just super rich, like someone like Dan Shack. So this person asked Eric Seidel, "Why aren't your backers doing something about this?" And Eric said. Well, they were going to, but there's some problems at the moment with my backers. So apparently Eric Seidel, he said, the problems he said are not with him. He said uh, the backers are having problems with each other, and for that reason the backing has kind of stopped, and that they're not going to be able to back him for the one drop, and that he had to panic and immediately try to sell 70% of himself to play. And if he doesn't sell a minimum of 70%, 700K, then Eric Seidel is not going to play the one drop. That's what he's saying here. So, I don't know how much he's sold yet, uh, but he's trying to sell 700K, and he's claiming it's very hard to do in this short period of time, which, which I can understand. So, even Eric Seidel has a backer, and Eric Seidel... Uh, I guess his backers backed out on him. Not from anything he did, but they were having some problems with each other or whatever. So that's what's going on with him, and he's furiously trying to sell pieces. Uh, Forum Wars in the chat is saying that's the whole Guy Le Liberté problem, probably. Le Liberté could be the backer. Well, what, is, what problem are you referring to? Is there something going on with Guy Le Liberté that I don't know about? Because um, maybe you're right. He didn't go into specifics of who the backers were and what the problems were. Just that it wasn't a problem with him specifically. It was a problem that they're having themselves. Snowtrack's asking in chat, would Druff give back the money if he was a full tilt pro? Well, it's, it's easy for me to say yes, because I was not a full tilt pro, and I can claim I would have when I, you know, you may think I wouldn't. But yes, I would. If I found out that money that I got was stolen from players... Even if when I received it, I believed it to be money that was fairly obtained. If I found out later it wasn't, of course I'd give it back. And if everybody else would not get on board, let's say I was one of the full tilt owners, but I didn't know what was going on there, but I was getting my distribution, and then I found out that they were broke and owed the players hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, you know, how would I distribute that? I couldn't just throw it up in the air and hope that uh, the right people catch it. I, I would have to come up with some plan, maybe to distribute the money back to people uh, in a prorated sort of way. But but I would give it back. I wouldn't feel right keeping it, because you're keeping money that was stolen from the poker community. It's just wrong. You may not have been the one stealing it, but if you keep it after you know it's stolen, that's still wrong. Oh, oh, oh well, they're talking about the... Uh, and he's saying, I just hear about a bunch of players having an issue this year with him. Yeah, maybe that's what it is.
Someone tell me I need to turn the volume down now. <laughs> I, I guess uh, well, I, I guess I can try to turn this sound fix down. Is it is it any better now? I put on like a manual sound fix to fix the issue with my microphone that we won't have next week, by the way. But uh, is this any better? Worse? The same? Oh, the sound effects. Okay, the sound effects. He's saying. Okay, you're right. I, I probably do because I, I'm probably soft, and the sound effects are the normal volume, so I'll, I'll turn them down. Apologize for blasting out your ears. I, I'm very bothered when the show doesn't sound right, when the audio's too loud, when it's too soft, when certain parts of the show are louder than others, and you have to keep turning it up and down. That actually really bothers me. Like I'll go back and listen to parts of the show to make sure it sounds okay, and when it doesn't, uh, it really pisses me off. Not at anyone, but at myself. So anyway, that's what's going on with Eric Seidel. My next event is the 10K Limit Hold'em, which is the 5K limit from last year with a doubled buy-in. I sold 45% of myself to people on Poker Fraud Alert. And I I hope I can do well again. I I think it's a structure that is very favorable toward my playstyle. At least the beginning of it is. But I need to catch cards and I need some luck to, to win. I've done well the last two years. One was very frustrating. I had a stone bubble finish and a fifth place last two years since they changed the structure. So we'll see. It'll be on Thursday. China Maniac. He is in that event. I think he sold 80%, 87% of himself to Poker Fraud Alert people. But China Maniac is here in Vegas, and he'll be playing tomorrow, and I already know what table he's at because he posted a seat card. I, I hope I don't end up at his table. For a few reasons. Uh, first of all, you know, like I want to beat other people and not him. I, I only want to beat him when we get down to heads up, and it's me and him. Then I want to beat him. Other than that, I want to beat other people. I don't want to beat him. And second, uh, you know, China Maniac's a good player. And, and third, he's heard me discuss my play styles before, and I, I don't want someone who knows my play style that well at the table with me. So for all those reasons, I hope he's not at my table, either the starting table or any tables. So... Uh, talk about uh, some of the World Series stories here. PSU Mike 1999 is a poster on 2 Plus 2 who has uh, been around a long time. PSU Mike has had his account for two and a half years on 2 Plus 2. He has a lot of posts there. 944 posts. I mean, like, he's not like one of them with 10,000 posts, but he's just kind of been there. Like, I've seen him a lot in various threads there. And there's never been any kind of real drama involving PSU Mike, from what I've seen. I, I don't read everything on 2 Plus 2, but he just kind of blended in there. He's just kind of another guy who posts. So, PSU Mike 1999 reported about two weeks ago that an older guy who was running the single-table satellites at the Rio was demanding bribes, or or he was extorting people, basically refusing to start the single-table satellites unless they bribed him personally to get them going. Otherwise, he would just sit and wait and wait and wait until people bribed him. Totally wrong. 
totally crappy. He called it greasing him, and some idiots on 2 Plus 2 said that was fine. It's just, you know, considered tipping like you have to do in Vegas for everything. That's not true. That's not tipping. That's demanding extra money for him to perform his own job. And that's never tipping. Tipping is when you give someone money after they have performed their job and performed it well, not beforehand. You should never have to pay an employee to do their job, ever. They always do their job first, and you tip them after if you feel that a tip is right and customary for that situation. Anyway, PSU Mike gave an accurate account as to what happened there. There were apparently other reports about this same guy. Seth Polanski of Caesars confirmed to me personally that this really happened and that this individual whose name was Lou was fired. So, seemed like a happy ending. At least mostly happy that the bad-acting Rio employee who was extorting money out of poker players was fired, and we had PSU Mike in part to thank for this. In fact, Seth Polanski said that that post actually did help alert World Series of Poker staff as to what was going on, and that he encouraged people who were getting mistreated by anyone who works for the Rio to report it wherever they want to report it. He said report it in private, in public, wherever. Just report it somewhere. That's what Seth said, and that's the right thing to do. So PSU Mike, uh, he came out of this one smelling like a rose. He told a true story. He helped get a bad guy at the Rio fired. Great. Except one little problem. PSU Mike is a career scammer. So, I I read about this story, and it was an interesting story by itself about this character named Mike. And then when I found out which Mike it was, that really just made it ten times more interesting to me especially because we just talked about this two weeks ago. So, uh, this is what happened. There's a guy named David Gzesh, or Gzesh, I don't know how you pronounce his name, G-Z-E-S-H. He was the owner of True Poker. I don't think he is anymore, but he was. He's the one who started and owned True Poker. He may deny that, he may try to pretend he's not, or wasn't the owner for legal reasons, but he is. Or was. He, I don't think he is anymore. Uh, I dealt with him via email back in 2001 when I used to play on True Poker all the time. Now, nothing bad about the guy. He seems like a pretty bright guy. Uh, I think he's around like 60 years old. Somewhere in that vicinity. Never had a problem with True Poker. Uh, so I have nothing bad to say about David Gzesh other than just the yeah, just the interesting piece that he's the one who started True Poker, which at one point was actually a pretty large site by 2001 standards. This is before Party Poker rose. At one point, True Poker was the number two site behind Paradise Poker. But then it fell apart from there for reasons I won't bother discussing. Anyway, David Gazesh is still part of poker, kind of. And this is what he wrote on 2 Plus 2 at uh, 2 in the morning last night. Michael Borovitz is a poker player who has been playing in the World Series of Poker. I never met the guy before Sunday morning. Here's what happened. I was catching a flight out of McCarran Airport, which is in Las Vegas, on June 22nd. This was two days ago. Sunday morning at around 9.30 a.m. or so. 
Between getting out of my taxi and heading to the United Courier to check my bag, I was approached by someone who identified himself as, quote, Michael Borowitz, wearing a Penn State cap, known as PSU, by the way, Penn State cap, and telling me a tale of woe. This was halfway between the front doors and the United counter at Terminal 3. He stated that he had been in Las Vegas for about a month or or so, showed me a hotel invoice ending the morning before, claimed he had been there for a job interview with DuPont, and had been looking for an apartment. However, he claimed, Southwest had canceled his flight due to bad weather on the 21st. He showed me a couple of other documents a Southwest Airlines ticket jacket, a CEO's card, claiming that he was going to help, but all the ATMs in Terminal 1 were broken, which is why he was now looking for help in Terminal 3. There was a wealth of detail provided, actually way too much detail, and his repeated insistence on repeated details were way fishy. So I asked him to wait for me while I checked in, and then I could talk to him. I googled his story this morning from Europe. The details are repeated for this guy and his airport fundraising scam on different postings. So you you already know what's coming here. This guy is not telling the truth and is trying to scam here. He waited, anticipating I was going to the ATM to give him the $300 he kept asking for. I kept asking him to repeat his story, which included a reservation at the Ramada Inn for that night for $139. He promised to pay me back plus another $300 and gave me his information written on one of my cards. I said I was not looking for anything extra, walked to a row of chairs, and put down my carry-on luggage. I took out my cell phone and asked him what Ramada he was booked into. He said, you can't call them because Southwest might get me on that flight. I pointed out that he said he was already booked in that hotel. His story had a hole in it. I retrieved a card of mine he had asked for and was still holding and left for my flight. I was impressed he was still trying to replace the worn-out, quote, CEO card he had flashed with a fresh one of mine. I did not give him any money, but I am suspecting that he does this regularly based upon my initial Google search. Suspect he has been working McCarran Airport for at least three weeks, as that was the hotel receipt he showed me he had him staying in town, maybe a Hilton Garden Inn or Hyatt place. I googled him by name and just now, damn, he's a poker player. With his face plastered on poker pages, he cashed in a World Series of Poker event on June 14th, definitely the guy who approached me at McCarran on Sunday. So if this guy is still raising a bankroll at McCarran and staying in Las Vegas for the World Series of Poker or the Deep Stacks, you might be able to watch him in the act. The guy really pissed me off because his act is bad for Las Vegas, bad for people who really need help, apparently tried to acquire my card for future efforts, traded on religion, and apparently is raising his bankroll through, quote, crowdfunding with a fraud twist. So that's actually PSU Mike 1999. Now, um, apparently this guy's been at it for a while. How long? Well, and these scams usually don't just start, you know, this guy's like 39 years old. Usually people just start doing this when they're 39. They've, they've probably had a long history of scamming. There's a site called scambook.com. It's kind of like Poker Fraud Alert in a way, but it's uh, more generalized, not about poker. So it's mainly to write about companies, but you can write about individuals too. So... Uh, there is a complaint first submitted to Scambook on June 27, 2013 about Michael Borovitz, B-O-R-O-V-E-T-Z. Um, it says, on average, users reported $170 of damages. Uh, let's see here. Looks like uh, $3,400 was 
scammed in total from like 16 people. So here are some comments people posted on the page about him. Fra, and he seems to have the same MO everywhere. Here are the ones recently. And keep in mind, this was first submitted in June 2013. But here's from 2014. May 13th, Michael approached me with the same story of a job interview, hotel receipt, and how Southwest Airlines canceled his trip and he had no money left to pay for a hotel. He didn't have a credit card. He needed $100 to pay for a hotel. May 3rd. Sorry, that was March 8th. That wasn't uh, May anything. That was March 8th, 2014. Uh, May 3rd. Michael approached me at a baggage claim at Philadelphia Airport. Same story that many others reported here. Claimed Southwest had canceled his flight. He needed cash to stay an extra night. Showed me his driver's license, the hotel bill, blah, blah, blah. May 27th. Hit me up with the same story reported by others. Missed flight, just received a job offer from DuPont and needed money for a room. I've called, emailed, and have a local police officer call him, but with no luck. He has a serious gambling problem. May 30th, 2014 was approached by this guy at LAX with a story that he needed cash to get back to Pittsburgh. This guy is a con artist and needing to find individuals so he can get cash from. Apparently he's a gambler. May 18th, 2014. I got scammed at LAX. I was trying to help a student get home. I was approached at Terminal 4 at LAX. Good story. Got my attention. He turned out to be a liar and a scammer. Shame on him. If I see him again, look out. June 9th. Monday, June 9, 2014, Las Vegas Airport. Same scam as others showed me a driver's license, which I took a picture, I took a picture of, and got money. I intend to start a class action in California against Borovets and would like anyone interested to send me information. Yeah, good luck on that one. You may win a class action suit against him, but uh, good luck collecting. So anyway, that's what the guy does. He hangs out at airports all day, Philadelphia, L.A., Las Vegas, and, and comes up with the same convoluted story as David Zesh reported that he gives way too much info. And you know, scammers are actually known to not give enough info. They give info that sounds good on the surface, but they're often light on details. Uh, this guy tried to go too much the other way and gives so many details, repeats them so many times that it makes some people suspicious, like David Zesh. But a lot of others say, well, you know, he's showing us so much stuff. He's showing us these receipts and, and uh, yeah, he's showing us He's willing to let us take a picture of his driver's license. It just seems, you know, the guy only wants 300 bucks. It seems like he really got screwed here. Uh, yeah, sure. Seems like his whole story checks out. He has every way to show his story. So, also, he got arrested at LAX on May 29th. Here's a report regarding his arrest. He was charged with a misdemeanor at L.A. airport, age 39, on May 29th. Five foot seven, 200 pounds, brown hair, brown eyes. Misdemeanor arrest. It does not say what the arrest is for, but I'm sure you can guess that. So, yeah, PSU Mike 1999 is apparently scamming people at airports everywhere to get his poker bankroll. What do you think was going through PSU Mike's mind when that older guy at the Rio, that employee, was trying to shake him down for money? 
Like, obviously, unless he's really, really twisted, which is possible, but obviously, DSU Mike wasn't thinking, oh, what a piece of shit. Wow, this guy is so immoral. Oh, wow, this guy's a real bad person. Like, obviously, he wasn't looking down on him from that perspective, because he must know that he's a scammer himself. He's actually doing worse than this this guy at, at the Rio, who's extorting money to get a tournament started, but he's not uh, directly scamming people like PSU Mike was. Like, was PSU Mike thinking, hey, I'm going to report this, and then this way I'll get good cred in the poker world and I can borrow more money? Or was it one of these things where, like, he hates himself in a way, so when he sees people similar to himself, it gets him mad? Or was it a case of he wants to be the scammer, he wants to be the grifter, he wants to be the one in control of separating people from their money and gets mad when he sees other people doing it, like a competition thing? I don't know. It's weird. But of all people to go report that. Alright, here's some text messages we've gotten over the past week. This is from June 19th from Vintage One saying didn't listen to the show, did you use my donation? Huh. I'll have to go back and check on that one. I don't remember if I used your donation last week or not. This week we definitely didn't. From the 209 area code you verbally bitch slapping Eric Seidel, may the Lord bless you Todd. (laughs) From the 734, have a good show tonight chicken fucker. They weren't signing a chicken fucker. They're calling me chicken fucker. From the 410 area code, my hat days are over, so may I get a shirt if I donate to the free roll? And he put donate in quotes. It's not donate in quotes. If you if you donate to the free roll and I make shirts, which I haven't yet, but maybe I might, then yes. And from the 704 area code, I can hear you fine. Well, that's good. So that's where we are right now with the text messages, 702-623-1423. is the texting number to reach me. That's weird. This always has to happen on the show. My program I use to receive these text messages on that phone number on my phone is unable to connect to the internet. So, I may not be able to read your text after all. But but text me anyway. It'll come through at some point. Oh, it's something with this show. So, um, and move on to another topic here. Another World Series topic. And that is... Oh, good. You can text me again. It's it's, uh, it's come through. But the next topic we have here is regarding Brandon Cantu. Brandon Cantu got into an altercation with Jeff Lissandro earlier in the World Series. At first it was reported that punches were thrown, but uh, then... Lissandro denied that was the case. I think it was like shoving or something, but apparently it had something to do with money. Apparently, Brandon Cantu, who's a huge degenerate, owed money 
and Lissandra wasn't happy about it. We played Lissandra talking about it on this show in the past, and it looks like Brandon Cantu just has a real problem with starting altercations with poker players. When someone is a magnet to causing trouble, you can usually reasonably conclude it's their fault. Now, that's not true in a customer service capacity. If you have someone who complains a lot about a certain company doing things wrong, that doesn't mean they're wrong. That also might that might mean the person is more willing to complain than others. That's a different story. But in just a public setting where there's one person causing trouble for other individuals, other customers, and that person keeps ending up involved in the trouble that's caused, it's almost always their fault. It's almost always that they're the problem. It's unlikely that they are so unlucky that all the problems we keep hearing about between players at the World Series happens to involve them. I once said the same thing to Hasib Qureshi, when he was always writing his book-long posts all over poker sites, including this one, and making himself out to sound like an angel. And I said, look, Hasib, how come everyone always seems to accuse you of scamming and angle shooting? How come it's always you? How come you're always involved? How come it's always accusations that you've lied, that you scammed, that you angle shot in some way? How come it's so frequent we hear that about you and so many other people we never hear that for years and years how come I've been in the poker world 14 years and there's never been one post about that about me there's been other things criticizing me and insulting me but never calling me a liar or a cheater or a scammer how come with you we have so many of these stories well it's because I am not a scammer and you are one that's why people are always accusing you of it because you're doing it so uh, similar with Cantu uh, this guy is apparently a troublemaker at the World Series, and, and rather than enforcing stupid rules of the World Series that nobody cares about, uh, they should really get people like this out of there so everybody else can play in peace. Now, here's basically what happened. At a certain event, there was uh, some kind of controversy involving a hand, and I'll let you listen to this. And Cantu and another player started arguing. And Jesse Martin, who was friends with the other player, and Cantu started getting louder and louder and really yelling at this other player. And Jesse Martin was friends with this guy. Not Cantu, but the player that Cantu was yelling at. Uh, Jesse Martin decided to speak up and say, you know, he's not angle shooting. And, uh, you know, I know this guy really well. He would never do this. And then Cantu started yelling back at him. So finally, Jesse said, look, Brandon, you're a really well-known angle shooter. Nobody likes you. So then Brandon freaked out and jumped up and charged at Jesse. And this is not in dispute. He definitely charged at Jesse, physically charged at him. Now, whether he ended up actually touching Jesse is in question. I don't know if he touched him, but people jumped in between very quickly. There were no punches thrown, but whether he actually physically pushed Jesse or just tried and had someone jump in the way, I I don't know, but it doesn't really matter. The fact that during this argument, Cantu now jumps up and charges at Jesse, and this is just after the big altercation he had with Lissandro over something completely different, 
you can't have that. Anyone who charges another player like that physically during a tournament should be disqualified and banned from the property. We can't have players here who do things like that. You shouldn't be afraid to speak up about someone at the table without them charging you and trying to hit you or trying to push you. It just That shouldn't be going on. And if someone does that, they should be disqualified. You should make an example of those people, and then they will think twice about doing such things. And bar them from the property so they can't come back and do it again. So uh, I'm going to play you two interviews. The first one is with Cantu discussing it. And the second one is with Jesse Martin responding to what Cantu had to say. These were interviews with Poker News. Oh, um, to be honest, the funny thing is, is that it was nothing. That's the funny thing. It was kind of the side thing that was going on. Is I'm not sure what the player's name was that was right here in the sixth seat, but um, what, what happens going on the third draw, I say I, I was already Pat going in, and on the third draw, which I had said on every draw I had been saying Pat, on the third draw I say we're playing deuce to seven triple draw, I say Pat. The other kid puts his hand on like this. Okay, so now we're in the betting room, and I go... And he goes like that, and I go to roll my hand over. He's like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 wait, 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 what's going, what's, what's going on here? Whoa, whoa, you know, like, um." And I was like, "You checked," and obviously, you know, I, I had it like a nine, eight, five, three deuce or something like that. I don't remember exactly the cards. Nine, eight, something, and obviously, I don't want to face the bet. That's I mean, that's that's more than obvious. I'll give the obvious part. In the the second... Hang on a second here. Before we talk about what Cantu's saying, why do I have to listen to porn music in the background during this interview? Like, I don't know if I'm listening to Cantu describe a hand or if I'm watching people have sex in the 1970s. Why are they playing this awful music in the background? It's so weird. The obvious part is he probably didn't mean to check, but he did. And I, or I'm already here about three quarters of the way whipping my hand over as he checked. I'm sure it was like a subconscious thing. But it happens. It's happened to me before. It's happened to everybody. And, you know, when you check, you check. And I think like three or four people at the table saw it. Um, one of which, there was one kid. I, there was actually one person at the table that didn't see it. And the other guy said that he, he didn't check, whatnot. Not like, uh, it really wasn't a big deal. The big deal is that kid, Jesse. I don't know what his last name is. I just know... I even hardly even know his name, but uh, starts yelling at me and saying, "Oh, Brandon, he's a known angle shooter. He's a known, uh, and nobody likes him." Well, you know, just because if you start saying to another poker player that you're a known angle shooter, which you couldn't be further from the truth, you're gonna. Most people are gonna just get like crunched right across the face, as, as Jesse should have been. And uh, so I go over and you know and like get in his face, but the funny thing is about the Rio, is every single person, somehow I have three, three security guards and two foremen holding me back, is Jesse was just like, what, nobody likes him, angle shooter, like, which just couldn't be further from the truth, and it's sad that when people actually say things like that, because uh, he's never seen, he's never seen me do anything, and neither has anybody else, I've done one thing wrong in poker my whole life on shooting an angle, and that person knows who they are. That's the only time in my life I've ever shot an angle. That was five years ago, and I was very sorry for it. Only time. Never have I done one thing. So. Oh. <laughs> only one time. Well, just one time I shot an angle, and, you know, it's, 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 it's over now. They know who they are, and it's the only time. 
I feel bad about it. Except maybe uh, Jeff Lissandra. I might have screwed him too, but he knows who he is too. I'm sorry about that too. Like, <laughs> I think he would have been better off just lying and saying he didn't shoot any angle. Saying, well, I've only shot one angle before, so that makes me not an angle shooter. No, it does make you an angle shooter. Uh, by the way, the, the porn music you were hearing, the first music that was in the background actually is the music in this interview that Poker News put on. The second music you were hearing was uh, my own edition. Let's go on here. That's, uh, that's it. And what's going on now? Is it it's so, Oh, so they gave me a one-round penalty, and I said, you know, I probably deserve two. And, uh, um, they just let Jesse sit there. They tell me I have to apologize to get back into the tournament. It's bullshit. Oh. I, I, if I apologize to him, I'm not, like, really sorry, but, you know, he just, whatever. I'll have to, I'm sure, say it to stay in the tournament, you know? And you and Matt and the six-seater are all cool now. Yeah, the sixty—it had nothing to do with anything. It's if the floor man doesn't shut shut the fuck up. Jesse just lets him like yell at me, and like it's just funny when you do everything the right way in poker, and then and then you know you get treated like that. It's it's wrong. So we heard it here first. We'll ask Jesse. We'll talk to Jesse as well. Get his side of the story. This is Brandon Canto. I'm Sarah Grant. You guys are on PokerNews.com. He's truly just a piece. He really is. He's. He's, like, lower than that. He's just such a scumbag. It, it, he, like, creeps me out. Scumbag he is. It's just, ugh. Yeah, you know, I think one angle being shot in my whole life, I think that's okay, right? Five years ago, one angle? That's got to be okay. Yeah, it's he uses one time. Don't you know? Don't you know, Jesse Martin? Everybody gets one angle shot every five years. And once those five years have expired, you are allowed to shoot one more angle on a person and then five more years keep your nose clean and it goes like that and in a human lifespan of uh, 80 years what that's 16 angle shots that's not that many and maybe 14 if you start at age 10 that's not that bad how dare you question that Jesse Martin as I was wrong then, and I, I would never do it again, and I didn't like the person very much. But... Well, that's a good reason. If you don't like someone, yeah. Shoot angles on them. Shoot them. That's okay. Right? I want every one of you to look around in the poker room, and you tell, and you tell me, have you guys ever even shoot, seen me shoot one angle, Jesse? One? I know you haven't, nor has anybody else. Because nobody's ever seen it, and that's... Uh... Maybe you don't like me, that's fine, but don't sit there and tell me I'm an angle shooter and a cheater because I'm very, very honest. So, whatever, that's that's all. There is a difference between the two, and maybe we can go into the poker community and find out if Please anyone do. really has seen like, it. I would like one person other than something I did wrong one time to one person that he won't you come, come forward with anyways. But that's the only time in my life... All right, so that was the Poker News interview. And uh, here is Jesse Martin's response. Maybe with not as much porn music. One thing about his videos that is so crazy is that the only reason I ever got involved... No, we got the porn music again. Same porn. At least give us different porn music. Like, I found some in two seconds. Poker News. Step up your game. If you're going to put porn music on during your interviews, get 
better and more variety. I want variety in your porn music in the background. Was because he's calling Matt, my friend in the sixth seat, who has happened. I mean, you can just ask anyone, anyone in poker. Like he, he's a he's a high stakes cash game player. He plays in Bobby's room every day. He's the most honest, mild mannered guy there is. And he's yelling across the table, calling him a liar and saying that he shot an angle. He's saying you're a liar. You're you know you, you shot an angle. You're lying. And then, and, you know, and Brandon just went on this whole rant about if you say that about a poker player, like, then you should get cracked in the face. Meanwhile, that's what he said to my best friend. I mean, he's probably my best, you know, he's definitely my best friend of poker. I was in his wedding. Like, he's one of my very best friends, my roommate. And, like, I know he's such, like, a nice, mild-mannered guy that he, and, and, and you know, and he's in an, an environment where he's not comfortable. You know, he doesn't play many tournaments. Like, and meanwhile, Brandon, you know, he's a hero all the time, knows all the floor men. And he's calling him a liar, screaming, yelling, getting the floor to reverse the thing. And then I say, Brandon, like, there's no, like, 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 there's no way that he's like lying or angle shooting. And then I don't know what I said about him, but I mean, he has a terrible reputation, broker. Even just admitted on your thing that he shot an angle five years ago. So when I call him a known angle shooter, someone who's a known angle shooter is someone who has angle shot, and people know about it. So if he says he did it, then like, I don't even know what he's disputing. I don't. Yeah, it's a great point. That's a great point. And uh, so basically, you know, Cantu saying you don't call someone that. You don't say they're an angle shooter. But then this whole thing started because Cantu was accusing Jesse's friend of angle shooting. And Jesse's saying, well, you know, my friend, he's in an unfamiliar environment, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't, I, I don't think that really plays into it very much. Uh, the guy who was involved is a cash player. He's played a lot of live poker. Uh, just because it's in a tournament setting rather than a cash setting, that doesn't mean he's a fish out of water. And I don't think Brandon is buddy-buddy with uh, the World Series floor men. Uh, but the main point Jesse was making is definitely true. That, yes, Brandon does have the reputation as an angle shooter. Yes, Brandon even admitted he shot an angle five years ago, and I'm sure that's not the only one. And, and here he was accusing Jesse's friend of being an angle shooter, so then Jesse said, hey, look who's talking here. Number one, my friend, I know the guy really well. He doesn't do things like that. And number two, you're the one with a bad rep here. You're the one who's known for angle shooting, not him. I, I don't blame Jesse for speaking up. You understand what he's... I just don't get it. Um, and then he charged after me. I didn't do it. I just sat there. I I just... I don't know. I, I don't know what's wrong. I, I mean, I'm just going to... How did you guys leave it? He he said at the end of the video that he was going to have to apologize to you in order to stay in the tournament. Did that happen? He apologized, but I mean, I knew that he didn't mean it, which is fine. I mean, my... My plan is just, I mean, it's, I mean, I, I can exist in the Rio and in poker without ever talking to him again, not that we ever really talked ever before. I mean, by the way, he backed Ultimate Bet for many years. Um, there's some, there's not many, but there might be a few good people who backed Ultimate Bet for many years, but no matter if they're a good person or not, it's a huge stain against your record. I- Very much so. And if that gets forgotten about Cantu, that he was wearing the UB patch for a long time. And, you know, at the time I actually discussed this, and I was never friends with Cantu, but I actually, I actually, I didn't give him a pass, but I said, all right, Brandon Cantu is so self-centered and is so just, everything about him is just uh, focusing on himself and what's going on in his own life, that I knew that while he knew of some scandal, I knew that if his life depended upon it, he couldn't tell you the details. Not that that makes it right he was wearing the UB, but I was saying, well he's less informed about it than others, which makes it 
not quite as bad as the others like Joe Seabach, who knew exactly what was going on and uh, chose to lie about it to the public. Brandon Cantu was just ignorant and maintaining a willful ignorance uh, because he just didn't care. He was just happy they were paying him. But but Jesse's right. You know, anyone who wore UB after the scandal does have a black mark against them, and you do have to wonder why would they wear UB patches or clothing after the scandal and lead more poker players to deposit on there. Why? Huge stain. He left ultimate bet when they stole money from everyone, cheated everyone. Like that's a huge stain. It's much bigger than 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 the, than, than anyone who's involved with Full Tilt because Full Tilt. You know, I, unfortunately, all of us were fooled by Full Tilt. Ultimate bet. It was known. It was known that these guys were cheaters, and and, and, and he just continually wore the patch. Like I, I, I've been at the main event final table before when they Ultimate Bet has offered me. You know, I don't remember what it was seven thousand, five thousand dollars at like the height of poker to wear their patch. Like I would, I said no, I would never do that. I would never ever do that. And whatever he, he, he you know, he owes money. He does all this stuff. So for him to call me out is just ridiculous. All I was doing was defending a very good friend of mine who needed defense because everyone is crowding around him. I know he's right. Whatever Brandon says, Brandon, like Brandon said, he's got a 9-8, whatever his hand is, whatever, you know, and he doesn't want to face a bet, and he, he sees an opportunity with a dealer who is a good hold'em dealer, but she was just at my table, and unfortunately she doesn't really understand the mechanics of the, the draw games, and she, it was clearly her mistake. My friend just, like, he plays draw games all the time, like, ask Billy Baxter about him, like, he plays in the Billy Baxter game all the time, like, he plays heads up with Billy Baxter, like, he's a draw cash game player like he's not going to make that mistake and in the first and whatever I don't know anyways and have you spoken to him we obviously want to talk to him too and see how your boy Matt how the game is evolving now I mean that definitely puts a weird sort of meta game in the game well I mean he said it to he said it to the to the uh to the guys you know because we're all he just kind of walked over when I was talking to uh, the supervisors and, and you know and they said to him they're like you know sorry you know because I explained to them who he is he's a, he's a high stakes cash game player you know just like David Oppenheim or you know those people who don't really come over here very much and you know now he comes over here and he has to deal with someone like Brandon Cantu you know screaming and in, in, in the floor in the floor saying oh here's the the bracelet winner screaming I guess uh, I guess I guess that, it, that he's got to be right and I mean, whatever it is, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying the floor did anything wrong because that's just how it's going to work when the guy screams that loud and the dealer, the dealer didn't really have a great answer. So I mean, the floor is an extremely tough spot and whatever. But I mean, the crazy thing to me is that Brandon charges after me. I mean, like, who in their right mind, like, whatever is happening in the poker room, who in their right mind just charges after someone and like he says whatever he thinks I had it coming. He called my friend every single name that I called him. Like if he said, I mean, I was just, if he said, Matt is this, all I said was, you are that, not Matt, you are this, and whatever, so. It is going to be super awkward because they are sitting still table next to each other. No, we won't, we won't look at each other, talk to each other. I'm sure Matt is, I'm sure Matt is taking the high road and not saying anything because that's the type of person he is. And you can ask anyone in the poker world, Dave Baker, Ray Hansen, Greg Mueller, 
Trump, you can, and anyone that you find, I mean, anyone that Mark Gregory, so like anyone here, they all know Matt because he's, he's he's been a poker longer than Brandon, longer than anyone. He's been I've known him since 2002. He's a great poker player and just an honorable guy. And to like you know, it's just ridiculous. He seems amicable, and he did shake Brandon's hand afterwards. So it seems like you know, hopefully things are going. But at least we have both sides of the story now. All right, so. Uh... <laughs> They gotta get rid of this music, I'm sorry. Or at least switch it around. Put something like this on there. This is for our listener who always has an erection during the show. Alright, so anyway, Jesse's completely in the right here. Uh, bottom line is anybody who charges after somebody else at the tournament needs to be ejected and telling him he had to apologize is the dumbest thing that reminds me of when one kid hits another when they're four years old and the mother of the four year old who hit the other one says say you're sorry and then the four year old says sorry but he's not really sorry he's saying it because his mother told him to so the floor man told Cantu to say he was sorry to Jesse, but you could see how he wasn't sorry. He came on the Poker News video and bashed him. So that's so stupid letting him back in if he apologizes. No. When someone does something like that, you disqualify them and you bar them from playing again. That was not handled well. So I can't wait till next week when I can report the next thing that Cantu has done. All right, let's go on here. Um, next topic. Sinner in the chat room is saying, I'm about to turn off this fucking shit. Seriously serious is saying this is torture. Wow. I guess you guys didn't like my porn music. Blue Father saying 86ing him might be a little extreme. Alright, if you don't 86 him, at least kick him out of the tournament and say if this ever happens again, you're being 86 for good. Alrighty, so uh, let's move to the next topic here. No more porn music, I promise you. Promise, it's done. Well, the Negranu Ivy bracelet bet. I have an update on this one. Negranu and Ivy are out of their respective events. Negranu late registered for the anti-only tournament, the one I played. And the late registration is so stupid. You can late register all the way up to the beginning of level 7. As long as you're registered before level 7 starts... You can play. And at a very fast-moving tournament like this or those 1K turbos, you have like 70% of the field gone by the time you take your seat, which is obscene. Now, yes, you start out with a short stack. You start out with about a third of average. But still, nobody should be able to come into a tournament with 70% of the field gone. That's not what late registration is about. Late registration is about giving people a chance to play 
when they're a little bit late, when it's still the early stages of the tournament. Not so they can come in with two-thirds of the field or more gone, and then try to min-cash, and then try to take it from there and run it up. That makes a mockery of the World Series. It makes a mockery of caches. So Helmuth and Negreanu were among the people who late registered, and of course they both cashed. Now, they easily couldn't have cashed, but uh, it's not all that hard to cash when you come in with a starting stack with 70% of the field gone. You have to just wait for the other 20% of the field to bust, basically double up, and if you are a good player like Negranu or Ivy or, or, or Helmuth is, and you know how to wait for the right double up spot and it presents itself, you can do it. Tournaments are a lot about survival. I mean, think about it. Think if you could register, like, when there's 10 left. I mean, you could make the final table every time, or 9 left. You know, like, there's got to be some point where it just gets ridiculous to late register. And I think six hours in is ridiculous, especially on events that move quickly. If you want to let people register six hours into the 10K limit hold'em, fine. You're going to have very few people who are busted after six hours at the 10K limit hold'em. But not at a short-stacking, fast-moving event like the 1500 anti-only. But anyway... Uh, Negranu cashed, but uh, went out like 50-something place, so he's gone from that event. Negranu was in that event because he had busted the 50k Poker Players Championship. And Ivy hung around for a while at the 50k, but he is gone down too. So they are out. So another week has passed. We're getting closer and closer to the end of the series. Uh, We're around event number 50 at this point. Only 65 events total, and they have not won a bracelet yet. We're looking pretty good. The one drop, though, is coming up, and that's the one to fear. The one drop is only going to have 41 players, it looks like. So that's where they have the biggest chance to win. And if they don't win that one, then we're in really good shape. Phil Ivey also is apparently trimming his schedule. I guess he's been playing high-stakes cash and doing well, so... He doesn't feel like playing these $1,500 buy-in events. You know, DeGrand will play them all, but uh, Ivy just, he decided he's only playing the big ones, the 10K and up buy-ins. So you're not going to see that much of Ivy. Ivy's kind of shining off this bet, and uh, I guess he feels he has so little chance to win those big field events that he wants to focus on the ones where the buy-in's bigger and the field is smaller. So that's another edge we're getting, a small edge, but another edge we're getting is that Ivy's not playing as many events as he had originally planned to play. So, uh, right now, we're really in good shape. Just got to dodge that one drop, but we're definitely uh, looking pretty good at this time to win this bet of $7,500 against Negreanu and Ivy. Team MLK just PM'd me in the chat room Tight sight, LOL, same segment every week. I just turn in and, he meant to say tune in, and a repeat of last week. Here comes an hour. Well, Team MLG, call in. We haven't heard from you in a while. I'll take your call. In fact, if anybody wants to call, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call 702-430-1808 if you want to reach me. 
Seriously, Sirius is begging, no, no, don't take his call. Hockey guy saying, I'm leaving. Uh, the ratings for this show are just uh, collapsing, as I mentioned, that I may take a call from TMMLK. Collapsing. I'm watching browsers close, close, close very fast. I bet even people listening in the archives are ready to switch to another podcast. Oh, well, good news. Good news. Team MLK just PM'd me not calling in unless I get paid. <laughs> That's my answer to that. Sites falling apart, he says. By the way, apparently Jesse Martin is one of the chip leaders at the 50K event. So good for him. All right, so uh, moving on to our next topic here. Dale rocks you. Dale rocks you, okay, Dale Phillip. I made fun of him last week. I, I said Poker Stars was in the right to fire him, that when you wear a Poker Stars patch, you have to act in a way that properly represents the company, that while they may have the right to fire him, that they should, uh, that, you know, they, they also should have because he uh, basically embarrassed them. You can't go flipping off other fans when you're wearing a Poker Stars patch. That was before I saw a video of Dale rocks you. I got to see what the fuss was all about. And let me say that, boy, was this a case of much ado about nothing. So I'm going to play the video. It's it's very short. It's playing the beginning here. And I'll describe what he's doing. You you can go on YouTube and search for Dale Roxu. That's D-A-L-E-R-O-X-X-U. Goal celebration. And you'll see like the first 25 seconds of it is the relevant part. So a goal just happens So he jumps out of his seat Like he's spring loaded And then he does a little dance He's cheering He's doing a little dance He's he's kind of jumping back and forth Doing this dorky little dance But nothing offensive He's just kind of jumping and you know, Swinging his arms around And jumping around He's uh, hugging and uh, Jumping around with some other fan Of the Netherlands and then what he did and what they took is flipping off was he put his arm uh, like how do I describe this in the radio he kind of locked his arms together you know which can sometimes be taken as a fuck you effect but it can also be something else it was kind of like it wasn't an he definitely didn't stick his middle fingers up at all he just kind of locked his arms together in kind of a crossed way as he was jumping around. And he just did it once and sat back down. That's it. That's it. And he's not having, you know, he's not engaging with anyone. He didn't do this to anyone directly. He just did a little dance when this happened. That's it. You know, if, if he put up both middle fingers and pointed them clearly at the crowd and and tried to rile them up, that's a different story. Then I, I then I think that uh, Poker Stars is in the right to fire him. But but it wasn't even clear he was trying to rile anyone up or do anything offensive. And what was called flipping off was more just kind of like putting his arms together. And and he just did it for a second and he wasn't aiming it at anyone. And I, I'm not even convinced that was trying to flip anyone off. So I think Poker Stars blew this one. Uh, now, I did get 
the other side of this. Uh, someone says in the chat, Druff, they scored five goals. The video doesn't show all of his celebrations. Okay, fair point. Also, someone told me that many things happened. They said, just as an FYI regarding Dale, I was told that the thing in Spain was the straw that broke the camel's back. Seems like he's been on thin ice for a while. Agree that what the video shows shouldn't be grounds for getting fired. So this person's telling me that uh, he was already on thin ice. He was already doing some things that he shouldn't have. And Stars was already close to firing him anyway. And this was just one small incident that was heaped upon others that made them finally get rid of him. So, I, I, I mean, if that's what was happening, fine. We don't know the whole story. But if it's just for what he did here and what the video shows, then it really is much ado about nothing. If he really has been causing a lot of other trouble for them, and this was kind of just the excuse to get rid of him, then, you know, all right, fine. But I think they could have picked a better incident to do it for All right, so I just wanted to say at the moment from everything I've seen and heard, I I think they were wrong with the firing unless there's information I don't have. Well, I was going to criticize Canada, but I'm I'm hearing that this is more of a criticism of Quebec rather than just Canada. And Quebec was even going to secede at one point, so I I don't want to hold all of Canada responsible for Quebecian mistakes, especially given that... uh, the U.S. criminal justice system has screwed up many times as well, but this was definitely a screw-up. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, Jonathan Duhamel was beaten and robbed in his own house in 2011, and it turned out his girlfriend set him up. Two guys came over, said that they were here to deliver a package, and then they, when he opened the door, they charged in and attacked him, beat him up, tied him up, and robbed him. Pretty bad. Uh, what was worse was that his girlfriend, Bianca Rojas Latraverse, I don't know if that's how you say her name, but that's the way I'm pronouncing it, Bianca Rojas Latraverse, or Latraverse, I don't know. Uh, she was his girlfriend at the time, and it turned out that she was the ringleader of this robbery and beating. That she had text messages and statements that they found about planning this crime. So, she wasn't the one doing the beating, since she was just a little girl, and, uh, you know, she had some big dudes come over and do it. But, she was the one who set the whole thing up. She's the one who gained his trust. She's the one who pretended to love him, while in reality setting him up for a robbery, and a beating. A brutal beating. So even though she's not the one who threw the punches, she is pretty damn responsible here. And there's no question. It's not even like there's any question that she was guilty here. She was 100% guilty and convicted in a court of law. And there's no question that she would be. Well, apparently there are some kind of prison guidelines over there that call for a mandatory release of a prisoner if two-thirds of the sentence has been served provided that they have exhibited good behavior while in prison. I never liked these good behavior releases. I think it should be the opposite. I think that you get a sentence, whatever the sentence is, you should serve that entire sentence, and if you misbehave, then you should get additional time tacked on for bad behavior in prison. 
but that good behavior should not take time off your sentence because uh, that your good behavior after the crime does not have anything to do with the crime you committed. The crime you committed is just as bad whether you behave well afterwards or poorly. You've still committed to the crime. You're still being sentenced to that crime. Future behavior should not remove time from the sentence. But a mandatory release after two-thirds of a sentence is a joke. Like, why even have a sentence if, if the person's only going to serve two-thirds of it as long as they don't misbehave in prison? Uh, also, she only got, uh, what, like four years or something? She, got two, she served 28 months. So a little bit more than three years she must have gotten if she only was in prison for two years and four months. And that's two-thirds of the time she was sentenced to, which is three years plus. So she should have gotten much more time than three years plus for this. Now, had she just robbed the guy without the beating, you know, let's say she left the door open and dude stole his bracelet and stole his money, um, I still think she should have gotten a pretty stiff sentence in such a case. But... I would understand a sentence like this. I would understand a three-year sentence for uh, leaving the door open for uh, guys to come in and burglarize your girl, your boyfriend's home and steal a lot of money and his bracelet and stuff like that. But can you imagine 28 months she's spending in prison, that's it, for setting the guy up to be beaten badly in his own house and robbed? I mean, she should have gotten a minimum 10 years for this. That's really bad. That's really a bad person. Yeah, it's bad enough to target a stranger. But your own boyfriend, who you set up like that. This isn't even like a girl he just met one night. Like that story we had in England of the prostitute who met that guy and, um, you know, similar thing, had thugs come over to his house and beat him up and take his money, except in that case the guy got beaten to death. But this could have happened here. Jonathan Duhamel could have been beaten to death. He just wasn't. So can you imagine you do this, you get caught, and you only get two years and four months that you have to serve in prison? So she's out. She's back back in the public. Doesn't seem like that long ago, huh? I mean, it wasn't 28 months ago that she went into prison. And here she is. She, she can live free now. She's on parole, but uh, um, she's living free. The weird thing is that there is a report that she did not want to be paroled. It was said that she expressed remorse for the crime and told the court that she wanted to do her time and sentence. Which is interesting. I I still don't think it makes her much of a better person, but uh, can you believe this? The prisoner says, yeah, leave me in prison for the whole time, and they say, no, you're getting out two-thirds of the way. She should have gotten a bigger sentence in the first place. If If you don't have a big enough sentence, a harsh enough sentence for terrible crimes like this, then there is not enough incentive not to commit them. Now, hopefully most people have the incentive not to commit them just because they're good enough people to where they don't want to beat people up and rob them. But for those that are not, for those that do not have that moral compass, you have to punish them enough to where when this does happen, that one, they serve the proper amount of time for what they did, and two, it serves as a good example for others that if they do this, this is what will happen to them. Two years and four months. I wonder how Drew Hamill feels about this. I would be pissed if this happened. And the person gets out in two years and four months. Pretty bad.
see what the chat room has to say about that. Bobby Orr saying, I think her sentence was reduced because she ratted out her accomplices. Well, I mean, while it's good those guys were caught, uh, really the worst one in this whole thing was her. She set the whole thing up. He trusted her. And just because she didn't physically beat him, that's only because she couldn't. Because, you know, she needed someone else to do the physical beating. Because she wasn't strong enough to do it herself, obviously. So, just because she got someone else to throw their fists at Duhamel and beat him up instead of her, that doesn't mean she's innocent. Uh, Tilted Stone asking in chat, is she hot? Uh, She's fairly hot. She's not, like, super hot, but she's attractive. Um... Blue Odom saying, for some people, prison in Canada is better than life on the outside. Maybe that's true. Maybe the Canadian prisons aren't all that bad. And, uh, yeah, I mean, really, people shouldn't get reduced sentences for ratting out accomplices unless the ones they're ratting out are of a higher level of interest in the case than the one that's currently caught. So, like, if you catch one of the accomplices and they're ratting out the ringleader, then that makes sense to reduce the sentence to get at the ringleader. But you don't go the other way. You don't uh, give her a reduced sentence to turn in the guy she hired to rob and beat up her boyfriend. shouldn't work that way. So... Don't even get me started about the Canadian laws as far as, uh, you know, they have no death penalty there, and they also there's some sort of situation there where I I think people can even get released if they've committed murder. I I forgot it now, so I'm not going to speak about it. But uh, I'm not a big fan of the justice system over there, at least for serious crimes. Uh, there, There was a situation also involving Canada and the U.S. There was a really bad series of crimes that aren't talked about very much, but it happened in the mid-80s, and these two guys, and this is in uh, California, I believe, were, um, it it was two guys, a white guy and an Asian guy, they were luring people up to their cabin, yeah, it was in California, in like the mountains of California, and then would torture them on video, and then kill them, and then bury them by the cabin. They must have found like 20 bodies by that cabin. And then they would steal their stuff. They would steal their cars and whatever other stuff they could get from these people that they would uh, lure up to the cabin and kill. It's amazing they got away with this for uh, as many people as they killed and did. But anyway, um, there were two people involved in this that did this. Uh, One's name is Leonard Lake, the white guy, and then Charles Eng was the Asian guy. Leonard Lake had a cyanide tablet on him just in case he ever got caught. And he was caught, and when the police weren't looking, he popped the cyanide tablet and died. So that was the end of him. Uh, Charles Eng, he was not caught, and he fleed to Canada. He Once he knew that the police were onto him and were looking for him, he fleed to Canada. Now, they arrested him in Canada, and California said, all right, Ship him back here. We want to put him on trial. And Canada said, no, we are not sending Charles Eng back to California because California has the death penalty and we don't support the death penalty. So even though this crime occurred in your country, even though this guy killed like 20 people, we're not shipping him back to California. We're not shipping Charles Eng back because you might give him the death penalty and that's cruel. 
<laughs> this really happened. Look it up. And the Canadians stuck to their guns about this for like 14 years. So finally, finally, after just you know, years and years and years of fighting about this, finally the Canadians backed down and shipped Charles Eng back to California. I mean, Google this story. You'll see what I'm talking about. And Charles Eng was given the death penalty. Now, he's not... He hasn't been put to death yet because the California death penalty is carried out very, 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 very slowly. That's a whole different problem, but... Uh, I thought that was pretty bad. I'm not trying to Canada bash here, but I thought it was pretty bad for one country to interfere with the criminal justice system of the other, especially when it was clear this guy was a huge scumbag and a serial killer. It's not like that uh, Canada felt that this guy was wrongly accused and was going to face death if he went back to his home country. I understand that. I understand protecting an innocent person from an oppressive government that's going to put them to death. But this was a serial killer. You have to honor the United States and California's laws that if you commit certain crimes there that they carry the penalty of death, especially someone who's a serial killer. So finally Canada backed down and said, okay, we'll we'll let him be shipped back there. But for 14 years they held the guy and would not send him back. Timo Malke is angry that I'm Canada bashing here. He says, Druff, are you mad that Benjamin couldn't get into Caesar's Stop player hating. <laughs> um, Danny Deadwood saying in chat that California converted all death penalties to life without parole, such as Charles Manson. No. Uh, well, yes and no. What happened was in 1976, there was a federal law against the death penalty. So all existing death sentences were converted to life in prison everywhere in the country. And then when the death penalty was reestablished, they did not go and reestablish the ones that had been converted to life in 1976, which they should have. They should have reestablished them, but they didn't. So people like Manson... People like Manson um, got the benefit of that, as did some of his followers. Actually, something that also I thought was an outrage was this really, really uh, heartless follower of Manson's who stabbed a woman to death, a pregnant woman, stabbed her to death while she pleaded for her life. You know, for Manson, this woman did this. Uh, She was sentenced to death for what she did. Then that same 1976 abolishing of the death penalty converted her sentence to life in prison, so fine. Well, this woman got cancer later in life, and uh, a number of years ago, there was actually an attempt to get her released for the final few months of her life in what's called the Compassionate Release Program, to let her be with her family for the final few months of her life as she had cancer. Isn't that sweet? The woman who stabbed a pregnant woman in the stomach while she pleaded for her life? giving her the last few months with her family out of prison because she has cancer. She should have been off this earth in the 70s. She's lucky she lived as long as she did. Blue Odom's asking in chat, Druff, say a U.S. citizen got caught stealing in Saudi Arabia and the penalty was death. Would the U.S. extradite him? No. But that's an example where there's cruel and unusual punishment. That's an example where a relatively minor crime gets a death penalty. 
And that's a different story than a serial killer killing 20 or more people in a place with a death penalty. It's just a totally different matter. Bobby Orr saying I sound like Wally George right now. Tilted Stone asking, Truff, why are the songs to start your show so bad? I disagree. I don't think they're bad songs. They're songs mostly from the 80s, sometimes from before, sometimes from after, but usually from the 80s, and that's an era of music that I like. Blue Odom saying Canada views death penalty as excessive. I understand they view it as excessive, but there's one thing to be obviously excessive to where... Uh, something mi- a minor crime is met with the death penalty where any logical human being could say that's ridiculous and the age-old debate as to whether the death penalty is appropriate for something like murder. And in the latter, I think you have to respect the other country's laws if that occurred in that country, where in the former, uh, you're preventing an oppressive government from uh, uh, basically murdering an innocent person. That's to- totally different things. Crypt asking in chat, Druff, do you like the cure? Uh... Moderately, but I'm not a huge fan. All right, so um, let's move on here. I, I know we have a lot of Canadian listeners, and I appreciate that. I appreciate Blue Odom and Hockey Guy, and even you, Team MLK. Even you, and Bobby Orr, of course. Can't forget you. And all the all the lurkers. I'm not trying to hate on Canada. In fact, I, I was in Canada. Last year, I went to Alberta. I was in Canada this year when I went to Toronto and to uh, Windsor and to Niagara Falls, and I'm going to be in Canada again. I'm going to be in Vancouver a little bit later on this year. So three trips to Canada in a little bit more than a year. So I'm not trying to hate on Canada, otherwise I wouldn't go there. I just don't like their justice system. So uh, here's even a worse story involving crime, probably involving Johannes Strassmann has disappeared in Slovenia. Uh, he's a Team Poker Stars pro. He was traveling a lot and uh, took part in a lot of high-stakes cash games. It was not known while he was why he was in Slovenia. But he's been missing from the neighborhood of Ljubljana. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but she's, he's been missing from there uh, and his whereabouts are unknown since the evening of June 21st. And keep in mind, it's now June 25th over in Slovenia. Early June 25th. So, uh, the police are urgently asking for people's help. I won't bother giving out the phone number of the police because I doubt if anyone listening to this show would know where... It, Johannes Strassmann is. If you really need the phone number, go to the 2 plus 2 thread about it. But, um... Apparently, this is very unlike him to just vanish. And even though it's only been three or four days, um... He's just gone. And someone reported in that thread that they actually see him on Skype, they see him logged in with a little green indicator, but he doesn't answer anyone. Almost like someone kidnapped him and took his computer and it's just on right now, but he's dead or he's kidnapped. So, uh, everybody in the 2 plus 2 thread had good things to say about him, unlike some people who have bad things occur to them that you can almost say they're asking for it. Uh, Here are some comments about him. 
One of the nicest guys I've ever met, and I'm sure all who have met him would agree. Hope he is safe. Um, let's see. Good guy. Hope you know. Hope him the best. Plus one to him being a good guy. So everyone says good things about him in this thread. Family is apparently very worried, and it's not known why he's in Slovenia. That's the weird part. Now, here's what the fear is, especially with him not knowing why he's in Slovenia. Uh, there are some gangs, not like L.A. street gangs, and I'm talking about uh, European gangs, that have targeted rich people for kidnapping. Uh, poker player Martin Stasko was almost a victim of a kidnapping plot. Where they were, uh, you know, they would pretend like he's going to a, uh, a home game, a high-stakes home game, and then would actually kidnap him. So there's some concern that perhaps Strassman, who's a high-stakes cash player himself, was targeted and was talked into going to this you know, high-stakes home game with a bunch of rich fish and then was just kidnapped and maybe there's going to be a ransom. Uh, In the Martin Stasko case, he was offered uh, uh, he was offered a deal through the, quote, president of the Czech Poker Association and um, he declined the offer because he was suspicious. But this is a, a common crime that's occurring these days where they're targeting rich people and trying to lure them somewhere with some sort of uh, great offer. And then they kidnap them. So they, they actually get these people to willingly go to where they, it's not like when they're kidnapping like they grab him off the street they they approach him with some offer and they get him to go somewhere and then they kidnap him in private somewhere so not good it says the people who were with Strassman at the time of his disappearance told police that Strassman suddenly left the group they were in and vanished down one of the town side streets that was the last time anyone saw Strassman and he was missing ever since. That's pretty bad. So, now Slovenia is not known to have high crime, nor is the city of Ljubljana, but I can't imagine this is good when he leaves abruptly from the group and hasn't he- been heard from in three days. Someone is asking, is the snake in the grass involved? (laughs) Well, I don't know about that, but I have a related update for you. I have a related update that I've been meaning to give you, and it might even surprise you. Not Not a tournament update either. The update is that Asian Spa is back on Twitter. If you go to twitter.com slash Asian Spa, he's back. 
He hasn't tweeted anything since May 25th, but he has reactivated his Twitter account after deleting himself, supposedly, because he was afraid of being found out. I guess that crisis has passed. I guess Asian Spa was kind of off the grid for a month or so. And he's like, ah, no one's revealed who I am? Okay, cool, I'm coming back. So welcome back, Asian Spa. Maybe we'll have him on the show at some point. Maybe. So Snake in the Grass reminds me of Asian Spa, by the way, because he used to always call out the Snake in the Grass. I don't think the Snake in the Grass is Asian Spa. I'd be shocked if that were the case. So, I guess we're done with our topics. This is a short show. It's only been two hours. Feels weird. But I do have one more thing, and then I'll see if I take phone calls or whatever. Questions in the chat. And then we'll be done, and then on Tuesday, not Tuesday, on Thursday, today's Tuesday, Thursday, I will be playing the 10K Limit Hold'em. If you want to follow me, it's at Dandruff Poker. It's a different Twitter account than what I use for the rest of my tweets, but my chip updates are and hand updates are on at Dandruff Poker. And China Maniac will be playing too. So my editorial is about resort fees. If you have stayed in a hotel in the past 15 years, you've probably run into one or more resort fees. What are resort fees? Well, a resort fee is an extra charge that's mandatory added to the price of a hotel room that gives you certain benefits at the hotel. Sometimes it's for parking, for internet, for local phone calls, for access to the gym. This would be fine if you could buy all this in a package and you can get there and they say, hey, do you want to pay the resort fee and have all these things for 20 bucks per night? And if you say yes, they charge, and if they say no, then they don't, but that's not the way it works. The way it works is that this is a mandatory charge, that this is just being tacked onto your hotel room. And they justify it by saying, hey, these things used to cost money. Internet used to cost money. Phone calls used to cost money. Parking, in some cases, would cost money. Access to the fitness center would cost money. But now you get all of this included in the resort fee, so you're basically paying the same thing. And my answer to that is, no. No, you're not. When resort fees are being charged, they are forcing the visitor to the hotel to purchase services that they may not want or need. And they can't claim, well, there's a cost to provide these services, so you have to pay for them whether they're useful to you or not. You know, how far can this go? Why not $1 hotel rates and then charge a $99 resort fee, which includes the bed, the sink, the bathtub, the shower, the soap, the door, the internet, and all the other stuff, and say that's all in the resort fee. And the dollar is just uh, 
the regular price of the hotel. So you think you're staying in a hotel for a dollar, but the resort fee is $99, so it's really 100 plus tax. Now, obviously, I'm being ridiculous here and exaggerating, but uh, the, the truth is they could actually do this if they wanted to. The big problem with resort fees is that they only exist for the purpose of tricking people. They are a scam. You might ask, why don't they just include the resort fees in the price? If the hotel is $79 a night and the resort fee is $20, why not just eliminate the resort fee and charge $99 and collect the same amount of money from the customer? Well, the problem is, when you go online and you take a look at hotel prices, you're more likely to book a hotel for $79 than you are a hotel for $99 if both hotels are comparable. So the resort fee thing was a trick that hotels invented in order to have their price look cheaper on booking systems on the internet so people will select the hotel based on its supposed cheapness only to find out later that it's really not that cheap because there's a resort fee that you have to pay. Basically, hotels should be forced to be honest about their prices. Whatever price is quoted should be the price they charge, plus whatever government tax is in that area. Now, at least with taxes, that's not set by the hotel, it's set by the government, and it's always something like 10% or whatever, and you expect that. And that's not something the hotel gains from, that's something the government does, and it's uh, that makes sense. It's, it's sometimes annoying as a traveler, but it makes sense. A resort fee is the hotel breaking off part of the room price and hiding it when you book the room. Now, they don't completely hide it. You'll find it in the fine print somewhere. Sometimes they hide it more than others, but it's always there in some way if you look for it. In fact, if it's not there, if when you make the booking, it is not either made clear on the website you're booking on or uh, and it doesn't come to you in email, in the confirmation email, if there is no indication whatsoever of a resort fee, you have the legal right to refuse to pay, believe it or not. And I've actually exercised that legal right before when I've gone to hotels, and this, this almost never happens anymore because they're all careful about it, but in the past when they weren't as familiar with this, I would just get there and they'd say, hey, there's a, a $15 resort fee, and I'd say, that wasn't disclosed at the time I booked it. And they say, oh, well, sorry, but that's what it is. And I say, well, sorry, I have a, a confirmation saying that the hotel room is uh, you know, 100 bucks. I'm not paying 115 and you have to let me stay here by law for 100 And they ultimately back down because they have to by law. But that mistake isn't made on their end very much anymore because they're wise to people like me who, who know that rule. So they state it in some way, often in the fine print, but the whole thing is to trick you. Now, I actually admired Caesars properties for quite some time for rebelling against the resort fees as pretty much every property aside from like Motel 6 and similar places, every regular hotel in Vegas was charging resort fees ranging between like 10 and $30. And Caesars had a big ad campaign, no resort fees. You just pay for the room plus tax. And after billboards all over Vegas and all over I-15 about no resort fees and hearing that there's no resort fees when you call up to book a room there, and you hear that on the recording, in March of, I believe, 2013, Caesars added resort fees back, and in fact, very high ones. The resort fees uh, at Caesars, I think, are, I think it's 30 bucks a night. But basically, now it's hard in Vegas, if you're booking a hotel room, it's hard to 
see what the real price is until you go all the way through the system. You can't just look at a list of prices anymore because the resort fees are all different, and a hotel that appears to be cheaper may actually be more expensive once you add all the resort fees in. So it's just a way to trick people. It shouldn't be legal. It's like what, what if you were at the supermarket and it had things like this? You you got you go and buy um, a gallon of milk for what you think is uh, three dollars and eighty nine cents, and then at the cash register the cashier says, "Up, oh, I'm sorry. There's also a two dollar bottling fee, so that'll be five eighty nine." And I'm not talking about like a CRV thing where it's a, a recycling fee or anything. I'm talking about the store adds another two dollars and they call it a bottling fee when it, the price says three eighty nine. I mean, you'd be furious. So resort fees should be eliminated, and I hope they are. I think one day they probably will be, but the public has to get angry enough at them, and they have to get a a congressman or someone who's uh, willing to go to bat to pass a federal law against them. Some may wonder why I want to interfere with the way companies do business. What right is it of mine to tell Caesars they can't charge resort fees or pretty much every hotel in Vegas you can't charge resort fees? Can't they do what they want? Well, right now they can, but I don't think they should be able to because they are misleading people. They're tricking people. That A certain percentage of people will always book these rooms not knowing the resort fees, even if they're disclosed in some ways. It's a way to trick people. And any kind of attempt to scam people or trick them or mislead them by businesses should always be outlawed. You shouldn't set prices. You shouldn't make it illegal to charge certain prices for certain services, unless it's a, a gouging matter during a disaster or something like that. But um, I support the free market to some degree, but once it bridges into scamming or trickery, then that's when I think the government needs to step in and say, no, can't do it. If you want to make a river phone call, 775 fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two. 8355 7024301808 is the Mount Charleston line. Let's see what texts we've got during the show. I've got a raging boner, uh, sorry, I've got a hot steamy boner and I feel so fucking hot right now. The raging was the previous show. My beard is full of broccoli cheese soup and I want to rub it all over my cock. I can't believe I'm reading this. Also, Vanessa's self is so hot I would love to suck a fart out of her ass and I, 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 I'm stopping here. There's, there's more I'm stopping here. I, I'm just stopping. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Alright, any questions in the chat room? And by the way, JSTAT is mentioning that Diamond Card members and higher don't pay resort fees at uh, Caesars Properties. So those don't affect me specifically, but I still think they're wrong. Any questions in the chat room, or on the phone, or via text, or otherwise, uh, we're going to shut this thing down just about two hours and 20 minutes into the show. You don't want that, do you? Definitely don't want that. Maybe you do. Let's take a look at the chat room here. Druff, are you turning into Micon? <laughs> no. <laughs> seriously serious asking, where are the hats? Well, seriously serious, I have a question back for you. Where is seriously serious? 
I'm going to tell you something. At the same table with Eric Seidel, um, there were two other people there uh, of note. One is Ronnie Barda, who just always seems to be at my table. I had him twice in the same event, and I had him at the Limit Hold'em event. Ronnie Barda busted like a few minutes before I did against Eric Seidel. But uh, Ryan LaPlante, who I, I think listens to this show and I know for sure follows my Twitter, uh, when I said who I was, I, I guess he didn't recognize me when I said who I was when Eric Seidel asked about Poker Fraud Alert. He said, oh, you own Poker Fraud Alert? I said, yes. And he said, oh, nice to meet you. You, you do good work. And uh, introduced himself as Ryan LaPlante. Nice guy. Uh, actually, Ryan LaPlante is one of the few openly gay poker players. If you go look at his Twitter, you'll see that he says he's openly gay. So, you know, good for him for uh, being one of the few poker players who is willing to come out with that. Aren't many. But anyway, when Eric Seidel was just running it up big time and just never missing a hand, he referred to Eric Seidel as the cyborg. And someone at the table said, what? What do you mean by a cyborg? And then he explained... He said, Cyborg, that's probably Seriously Serious' best song. And the ta- the parts of the table that knew of Seriously Serious expressed a lot of admiration for Seriously Serious and his work. Lou Father asking in the chat, did I tell him about One Step and PLOL? No, I, I we didn't discuss anything about him being gay at the table. It just uh, I didn't see a need to bring that up. But anyway, Ryan LaPlante uh, really liked that Cyborg song and actually mentioned it at the table without any kind of uh, leading by me or anyone else. So I guess Seriously Serious is not old news. But uh, what I thought of when this was brought up was that I don't see Seriously Serious anywhere in the Rio. He's like hiding somewhere. He, he hides in some place that Bluff has at the... He once described to me where it is, but I, I can't even figure out where it is. Like, like if someone was looking to come and kill Seriously Serious, they'd never find him, I guarantee you. He's, he's like, hiding somewhere. He hides in the Rio. In the bluff area. And, like, I, I go to the poker media area, because I have a media pass, by the way. I have a poker fraud alert media pass. He said he'll call in. What's the phone number? Okay, you can call me on Skype. Or if you're not on Skype, you can call... 775-372-8355 775-372-8355 You can explain where you are seriously serious because Every day I go down to these events I have hats in my backpack I have black hats, I have blue hats And I have white hats And you are welcome seriously serious To come and approach me And I will give you a hat of your choice So you just have to appear I don't ever see you. By the way, now that we're talking about Seriously Serious and the media area at the World Series, I'm going to admit to something that I know Alan Kester would be proud of. Uh, Every year I get a media pass for Poker Fraud Alert because Poker Fraud Alert is the media. We are. We're, We're a form of media for poker. We definitely are the poker media. And even though we don't do news reports every day, we definitely get very involved in poker matters. In fact, this show... If you think about it, think of all the World Series talk I do every week on here during the World Series. Think of all the news I cover here, whether it's uh, my own news that I've discovered or recovering other stories that I think are of interest. 
uh, I'm the media. Anyway, so I have a media pass. And I found, I didn't realize it at first, but I found when I was in the main, the main media room that media members, seriously, serious is calling. Seriously, serious, do you know that media members get a $10 food voucher every day just for having a media pass? Of course I know that. I get one every day. So do I. I just realized this a few days ago. I'm like, I've been so stupid. I, uh, I've been I such did, a bad I've been Jew. saving all mine up. I've got like 16 of them now. You know what? I should be doing that, but I, I've been... Okay, I'm not shooting them off. Like, if I if I get something that's like $12, like, I'm not going to use two of them. I'm only going to use one and pay the other $2. So I, I only have two right now, though, because I, I keep using them to eat. But So what do you plan to do with your 16 and growing $10 food vouchers? Uh, well, Sarah's going to come to town in about a week and a half, and so I'm just going to go to Buzio's and have a nice time. Oh, all right. So he's going to... So, now, is it going to be embarrassing in front of your girlfriend to take her to a nice meal and then whip out 16 vouchers to pay for it? I don't I don't think so. I already explained to her the food voucher thing. Um, I'm still going to bring cash to leave tip, obviously, but I see nothing wrong with blowing a bunch of vouchers at a nice restaurant. No, I th- think it's great. I mean, I, I used to do that when they used to give you the $10 vouchers for entering World Series events instead of this stupid uh, reward credit they give you now, like $3 per event. Uh I used to hoard those vouchers and then have a big feast at the end of the year. And and they always looked at me funny when they, they'd say, okay, the bill is $130, please. And I go, okay, and just whip out what looks like a deck of cards and, and hand them 13 uh, vouchers to pay for it. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 think, I think I may have mentioned this on the show last year. or um, I think I may have mentioned this before, but last year at the WSOP, I met Brandon Gerson for the first time. No, the second time. Uh, it was during your final table at the Limit Hold'em event, and he took me to Buzio's. I think it was Buzio's, and did something very similar. I think he paid for like half the bill in vouchers. Still, I was, I was very. Pleased I wonder where he got the vouchers because they weren't giving those vouchers at that point. He must have paid with something else. They weren't like media vouchers. They were something else. It must have been something. I don't know what. It probably some Stephen Sars thing he got. Uh, he always got better offers than me. I was always jealous of him for that. But uh, anyway, yeah, I just discovered that, and just like. I will go down there every single day and get it, even if I'm not playing that day. It's just like, I'm just so Jewish. I have to go into that room and get that $10. Yeah, why Why do you even have a press credential? What, you, what were you planning on using it for? How dare you ask me that? Poker Fraud Alert is the media. Poker Fraud Alert, uh, we may not have uh, news reports, and we may not be doing interviews, but uh, we are still the media, and it's always important for the media to have a credential. Like, like, did you get the lanyard? Do you have you ever worn it? Yes, I, I. In fact, I wore it today. In fact, I, uh, I, I do wear it for brief periods of time. But I, you know, I have it mainly because I'll just be honest. And I, I didn't know about this ten dollar thing, so you can't even say I did it to get the ten dollars. Though, I'm not saying I wouldn't do it to get the ten dollars. But, uh, I did it honestly, and I do it every year because I want to have it to cover anything in the World Series that might need a media pr- credential to cover. I know you don't get the greatest access with it, but uh, I, I want to have it because I know I qualify, being that you know, Poker Fraud Alert is enough to be considered poker media, and, and you know, if I can get it, why not? Like, if I had to pay for it, I probably wouldn't, but uh, you know, why not? Yeah, you're, you're crap about not getting the greatest access, and that's sort of what I wanted to call in and explain. Things are a little different this year. Last, last year I had like a, a studio set up in Rotunda, which was very difficult to get to and confusing to explain to people where to find it. It was in one of those like executive boardrooms, I guess, where I guess people hold 
business meetings and stuff, but that's not where I am this year. This year I have a laptop and I'm on my own. I'm shooting video by myself. So I don't have uh, two shooters shadowing me or anything like that. And I'm set up in a dressing room that's in one of the back hallways right next to Brasilia. And 90% of my time is in that dressing room and it's conveniently located next to Brasilia. So I'm doing most of my interviews on the stage in Brasilia because I'm not allowed to conduct interviews on the tournament floor. I can't do that in Amazon, Brasilia, or Pavilion. Uh, my choices are to use that stage in Brasilia or to go to this media room that's kind of down the hall from Amazon, but it's kind of a pain in the ass to like walk people over there, so I try not to use that as much. Yeah, I know that room. That's the one that's uh, connected to the main media room. Yeah, so if I was allowed to conduct interviews on the tournament floor, I'd probably be out there all the time, just sort of strolling around, waiting for things to go on break, trying to pick up interviews there. And you'd probably see more of me, but because that's not the case, I'm pretty much um, tucked away in that dressing room. Okay, well, so I guess Sirius the Sirius is in a dressing room, as strange as, as, strange as that sounds. And uh, yeah, But you can come up to me when I'm playing. You know my schedule, or at least you can find it if you don't know it. And you, you can come up to me and, and get a hat any time or say hello. It's just, uh, it's just so weird. I thought about this when Ryan LaPlante mentioned you. Like I haven't seen him once, I have not seen yeah. him once. No, I've I've seen you around a couple of times. I've uh I've walked by your table when you played in Brasilia. That's the other weird thing. I, I'm going to bring this up too, and this is about you and Kevmath. Apparently, I didn't know you. I hadn't seen you, so I thought you just weren't seeing me. But Kevmath, Kevmath follows me on Twitter. He retweet he retweets what I say on on Twitter if he thinks it's something interesting, which I appreciate because he has like 20 times the followers I do. Um, he uh. Yeah, like I'm very pro Kev Math. He listens to this show. Like, I, I have so many good things to say about Kev Math, but the one bone I have to pick with him is that when I'm walking around the hallway and he sees me, uh, he just walks right by and acts like he doesn't know me. Well, you are quite an unsavory character. Right? I, I guess. I'm like, what's what's going on here? So I'm, I'm trying to figure it out too. Like, if if Kev Math is embarrassed to be associated with me, then he wouldn't be retweeting things I say so often, or even sometimes promoting Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Like, he he definitely isn't acting online like he's embarrassed to be associated with me. But in person, he he absolutely never acknowledges I exist, and, and it just it makes me cry. Uh, I, you know, I mean, uh, Kevin, <laughs> he can be kind of shy sometimes. Maybe I wouldn't take it too far. I, I don't know. I just Kev Math makes me cry here. I just, I just, I just want Kev Math to know I'm alive, and, and he does online, but not in person. Yeah. Well, I say all the time. I'll, I'll let him know to uh, be a little more friendly. You know what? You know what it reminds me of, and it brings back painful memories from over 25 years ago. Okay, I'm, I'm going to pour out my heart here to the listenership because we have nothing else to talk about right now. Um, there is a guy who I went to high school with, and. Anytime he would see me anywhere outside of school, even if it was with other people who were in the school, even if it was with a big group of people who were in the school, if we were outside of school, not only was he friendly to me, he acted like he was my best friend. He followed me around. This guy could not get enough of hanging out with me if we were outside the school. And again, not just one-on-one, I mean anywhere. Could be in a group of like 200 people also from the school, outside the school, and he always wanted to hang out with me so much where it actually was a little annoying to where like I, I couldn't get away from him. Okay? But then in school, he absolutely wanted nothing to do with me. At school, at lunch, he'd hang out with other people. If, if I seemed to want to hang out with him, he, he seemed like he just wanted nothing to do with it. Um, he would like never talk to me in school. 
And like I, I keep thinking, okay, well, I guess the guy, you know, he doesn't like me for whatever reason anymore. But then outside of school, again, he like we're best friends. It was the weirdest thing. I, I never you know, I kind of like that in high school too. I I had certain people. I was really super concerned about what other people thought. You know, it it hurts your social standing sometimes to. Uh, to associate with certain people, even if you like them a lot. No, 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 no. But it wasn't like that because because I I thought that at first too. I thought maybe he just whatever reason. And it's not like it's not like this is like one of the real popular guys in school or something. Like he wasn't. But um, I thought maybe for whatever reason um, there were certain people at school that he thought didn't like me or something. Didn't want to look bad. They were friends. But but like those same people, there'd be like very large groups of people at some sort of event that the school is holding or whatever, uh, to where there's the same people there. But there, then he'd he'd still want to be uh, like hanging out with me. But if it was actually in school, then he wouldn't. It was the weirdest thing. That is weird. <laughs> so, and I I almost wanted to ask him about it, but I, I just didn't know how to put it. I see. I've I've since gotten over that sort of thing. And nowadays, when it comes to poker players, I'm friendly with people that a lot of people really hate. Like I'm I'm friendly with both you and Mike on, which. Some people might see as strange. Well, a lot of friend... a lot of people actually feel that. A lot of people have said, "Hey, we're not getting involved," and I can and I can respect that. Like I I never expect anyone to dislike the people I dislike. Yeah, I'm friendly with Dutch Boyd, which would probably make some people mad. But I think for the most part, people don't really care who you're friends with. Mike on doesn't care, you know, that I'm friends with you, and I don't think you care that, that I'm friends with Mike on. And I would hope nobody cares that I'm friends with, or not maybe not friends with, but friendly with uh, some people. That just aren't so popular. You know, I I don't I don't ever get involved in those things. I, I always thought it was wrong to tell others, you know, who they were allowed to like or, or hang around with, and uh, you know, as, as long as they don't interfere with my situation with that person. So as long as they stay. So like with what happened with me and Mike on my attitude was anyone who just stayed out of it, I was cool with. I wasn't yeah. expecting people to take my side. Just don't get involved in the other side. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear people say that poker is kind of clicky and that people form certain groups, but I don't, I don't, I guess maybe I just don't pay close enough attention, but I don't really see that. Is that something that you observe in the poker community? No, no, there are, there are definitely uh, a lot of certain groups, and uh, and it's funny because I see a lot of the groups that form, I, I can almost like picture it being back in high school and, and seeing each group what it would have been in high school, like the same people probably would have hung out back in high school that are hanging out in poker. It's really strange. So uh, I, it's, it's not like that universally through poker, but there are a lot of cliques and groups, and uh, uh, I, I have noticed that. And uh, But at the same time, I don't think that should influence anyone's decision or who they hang out with or talk to. But, you know, I'm actually glad here to hear that uh, Seriously Serious has gotten, out, gotten over his uh, fear of what associating with certain people could do to his own status, and that I know that uh, Seriously Serious is not, will not be afraid to approach me uh, for the fear that people will think that he is unsavory, too. I don't think it does. I don't think it does affect your social standing by associating with certain people, as far as, you know, just talking to them and hanging out with them. I, and I don't understand why. Like, with the clicks that you described... Is it is it in such a way to where you just don't want to be seen hanging out with one clique if you're part of another? No, no, it's not that serious. It's kind of just uh, it's just uh, there's various groups that kind of you know get their people and then they hang out with one another and they hang out very little with the others. Not that they'll be punished in any way 
any kind of standing if they do, but that's just they, they, certain groups just kind of stick together. And sometimes when someone makes a final table or whatever, I'll say, oh, he's part of the such-and-such group. And I refer to, like, like, a, like a person's name who's part of that group. That's, see, that's weird to me, and I, I don't understand that at all. Actually, on uh, 2 Plus 2, I, I mentioned that I met Maurice Hawkins and that I liked him, and a bunch of people got really mad at me. Like, how could you like this guy? He's, you know, he's such a terrible person. There's all these stories about him uh, being a dick or angle shooting or whatever, which I admittedly didn't read any of those stories. But I, I guess maybe I was wrong. I, perhaps it does. Uh, maybe I lose some, some credibility on 2 Plus 2 for having said that. You know, I, I actually had my own situation with this. Uh, um, I, I was friends with Hollywood Dave, and people thought this is so weird that someone who's so anti-UB would be friends with someone who was a UB pro. And, um, you know, and I, I told Dave all the time that I disagreed with what he was doing, and, um, you know, we had a number of conversations about this. They didn't go anywhere, but uh, um, I, I didn't hide how I felt about it. But uh, at the same time, other than that, uh, we we got along well, and uh, you know we even went to some Dodger games together, and uh, you know I I didn't let what people would think of me being friends with Hollywood Dave, and there were people on Never Went Poker didn't like it, but I, I didn't care, you know. Like I just said, uh, um, in my interactions with Hollywood Dave, he's nothing like the character he presents on TV in those blackjack shows, and uh, you know he he was a nice guy, and uh, um, I, I didn't agree with his sticking with UB there, but. Uh, I, I was still friends with them. We were never, like, super close friends, but we were friends. You see, that's an adult, mature way to do it, and poker needs to be more like that. Kevin should say hi to you in the hallways, and you should give me a hat. <laughs> but you can come get it. You, when you On Thursday, if if you're around on Thursday at the uh, the 10K Limit event, uh, you, you can that's just come tomorrow, up to right? me. No, it's Thursday. It's oh, two, Thursday. Two okay. days from now. It's, it's an evening event starting at 4. And... Um, since it's a limit event, I won't be disappearing immediately, even if I run bad. I'll be there at least several hours, no matter what. But, yeah, just come up. I don't even care if we're in the middle of playing. Just come up and, uh... You know, it's funny. People are sometimes afraid to approach me during the tournament, and I can see how it looks a little intimidating, like everyone's sitting there at the table in a bracelet event, like, you know, don't disturb them. But I don't feel that way. Like, most of the time at a poker tournament, you're just sitting there and waiting. And yeah. a small percentage of the time, you're in the hand. Now, I wouldn't want someone tapping me on the shoulder in the middle of a hand... But uh, as long as I'm not in a hand, I don't give a crap if you come up to me and say, hey, can I have a hat? I'm fine with that. I, I, don't, I don't have to concentrate every second that I'm not in the hands. Uh, basically, the, you know, at tournaments, um, I show up, I, I look at the table, I, I get a feel for the way everyone's playing, I watch closely for a while of how everyone's playing, uh, but then once I know how everyone plays, um, I, I don't have to watch every second. And, and the reason you don't do that is it gets mentally exhausting to you know, watch every hand like... Uh, like a hawk, and then have to worry about your own hands. You ha- you have to have a little relaxed mind, relaxed time as you're at the table when you're there for all those hours, or at least I do. So uh, so yeah, if, if somebody if you know me, if you want to approach me while I'm playing, that's fine. Nobody gives a shit at the Rio if you do that. You know they're not going to stop you. Security's not going to eject you for walking into the tournament area. You want you want to walk up to me and say, hey, you know, can I have a hat? You know, provided I know you, provided I know you've been part of the forum for a while or whatever, which you definitely qualify for. That's fine. So, or if you don't feel comfortable, wait till the break and approach me. But I'll definitely. Yeah. There, there's. Um, sorry to interrupt you. There's actually, for me personally, there are rules of engagement when it comes to talking to poker players. These are actually in the uh, WSOP media guidelines. Nobody follows it. I see people break it all the time, and I don't think it's enforced or that anybody really cares. But technically, 
not supposed to talk to a poker player when he's sitting down at all. Uh, you, you don't talk to them unless they start talking to you. And that's generally how I do it. Uh, unless they go on a break, as soon as they get up, then I'll go ahead and talk to them. Yeah. I broke this rule last year when I met you for the first time. Do you remember that encounter? Um, it was very brief, but I, like, you came up to me and, and introduced yourself. No, I didn't. You didn't? No, I, I, I asked you if you're Todd Whittles. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I asked you if you're Todd Whittles, and you corrected me and said, no, it's Todd Whittles. And I said, oh, can I have your autograph? That's right. Now I remember that. Okay, never mind. I, I, I think that occurred on the day I was at the uh, at the final table, right? You were like, I think you were down to like three tables, so maybe. <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah see, that, that, I have to admit, during those days, there's a lot of things that are kind of hazy now. Like, I, I think back and like, because that event was dominating my thoughts at the moment, a lot of other things that happened, I kind of forgot from those days. But, um, no, it's cool. There's no reason you should recognize me because we, we've never met face to face before. Yeah. So, but anyway, uh, I'll recognize you now. You can come up to me and, and get a hat and pick the color you like and, you know, all the other listeners, if I know at all who you are, and know you've been listening for a while, I'll give one to you too. Uh, Lou Father asking in the chat, am I going to do a game for the hat tonight? No, I, I just, I don't know, I just didn't prepare one. and I have to prepare a game beforehand or it won't work. But uh, the hats will get given out. I ordered 70 hats, and or 72 actually. I think about five have been given away so far. So we have plenty left. I'm keeping a few for myself, but plenty left. I'd, I'd like to scold JSTAT for engaging in flash photography at the WSOP. <laughs> not not cool, dude. Not cool. Uh, okay, so yeah, we met JSTAT. Uh, I didn't have the hats. I would have given him one at the time, but I didn't have one yet when I met him. Yeah, when I get my hat, it's going on the mantle right next to my autographed Phil Ivey hat. Crypt is asking in chat, Druff going to start smoking weed? I don't know where that came from, but uh, I'm sure the question is a joke But uh, over something I said earlier. But I've actually never smoked weed in my life. I've been around people smoking it many, many, many times. Many times. But uh, including a lot of people in poker. But never had an interest to do it myself. And I still don't. And I, I don't believe I ever will. Don't though. knock it until you try it. <laughs> try it. Todd. There's no harm in it. It's not like crack. It's not... It's not, you're not going to get addicted. But right? I don't have an interest in it. That's I, I, Why do it if I, have an, I don't have an interest? I just don't have an interest in anything that, that alters my mind. I just don't. Yeah. Well, didn't you say you've never been drunk before as well? No, I, I've been uh, moderately drunk on a few occasions, but only moderately. Never like sloppy drunk. Never like limitless. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I don't have a desire for that either. So I don't ever drink. Um, I, I don't ever do drugs. And... Uh, I just don't have a desire for that feeling. And, you know, different things appeal to different people. That just is something that uh, I never found something I wanted to do. So, you know, once you get to a certain age, you get kind of set in your ways with these things, especially if you've you've had a really sheltered life and you haven't been introduced to it, and then you're introduced, like, oh, wow, I like this. But, uh, like... I haven't been sheltered. It, it's been I've had exposure to it for a very long time, going back to high school. I just had no interest in it. What about pills? Um, pills I will take for purposes of pain relief, but that's it. I don't I don't get any kind of excitement out of taking pills, but I, I'll definitely take them if I need to, uh, to to get rid of the pain. But have you actually... ever been in a hospital and 
taking morphine? Taking what? Morphine? No. Yeah, so did you did you deny morphine or was it just the opportunity never arise? No, I, I just wasn't given it. I just I haven't really been in hospitals very often. Um, I, I've I've really only been in hospitals for uh, you know as a patient myself. Obviously, when I was born, and then uh, the next time was 17 years later when I broke my arm, and the next time was um, just recently. I hadn't been for another over 20, like 25 years there. I, I went to the hospital after uh, a week after I broke my ribs. I didn't even go there when my when my ribs were broken. I didn't even go there when I couldn't keep liquids down. But I, I finally went there when. I uh, I thought I was having a problem with my spleen. I thought that my ribs had damaged my spleen. I was I had a lot of symptoms of that, and if you don't take care of that within a short time, you can die. So obviously, I had to go. But I'm very I'm very like anti-hospital. Like like I just don't like to go unless it's necessary. So all right, so so Druff, what's your price? Like, what would it cost to convince you to smoke a joint or take like ten drinks? I'm glad you asked. One million dollars. Oh, 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 I gotta run. Gotta buzz someone in. Thanks for having okay. me on. I'll, okay, uh, have fun in the later. dressing room. Say what? Oops, I hung up on him. I said, have, I had, have fun in the dressing room is what I said. Anyway, um, seriously serious, welcome to come up to me and get the hat, as I said. And if anybody else wants a hat, let me know. Got a lot of them to give away. Darkstar saying, sadly, I think my 13-year-old son has smoked more weed than Druff. Well, he's at the very least not smoked less weed than Druff. He's either smoked the same amount of weed as me or more. Might be more. Druff, how do you feel about Manischewitz from Lou Father? I've had little bits of it. Uh... J-Stats saying, I took Vicodin playing the World Series of Poker, was feeling good, gave me the courage to video my play. I'll tell you something. When I take Vicodin, and I always have Vicodin with me, not in my pocket all the time, but wherever I'm staying in a hotel or at home or wherever, whatever secret location I'm at, I always have Vicodin with me. Why? Is it because I'm an addict? No. I, I barely take it. I probably take one pill every few months on average. Uh, but I always want it in case I need a pain reliever with some extra punch, because it actually works well for me. So if I get a terrible headache that I can't get rid of with Excedrin, then I'll take a Vicodin. Um, or, or if I have some kind of uh, dental pain, though usually the dental pain will be pain I know about from a procedure or whatever, but uh, I, I always want to have it around just in case. But I will say that when I've taken it, while it's effective with removing the pain, uh, I, I don't get any kind of high out of it. I don't get any kind of thrill out of it. I don't feel good or more relaxed. It just removes the pain, and that's it for me. And I know everybody re- reacts to it differently. In fact, I know some people tell me that if they take Vicodin for headaches, it doesn't help them. But I, I'm just not someone who gets all that affected by uh, by things like that. And you know, every person's body handles it differently. The Lou Father's telling me to cut it up and snort it. <laughs> Dark Star telling me to take mushrooms for migraines. I don't get migraines, really. I, I get what's known as tension headaches. And tension headaches are very different than migraines. Tension headaches uh, originate uh, usually from your neck. And you can actually feel like a line of pain 
moving up from your neck into your head, into the back of your head. And uh, they're moderate headaches usually. They're usually not terrible. Occasionally they can be bad, but most of them, a high percentage of them are moderate headaches. But they're very frequent, at least with some people, like me. And they will not go away until you take pain relievers for them. So, like, I can go to sleep with a tension headache, and I'll, I'll wake up, and it'll be right there. So, if I don't take any pills for it, it'll sit there for days and not go away. So, I always have to have Excedrin pills, which are very good at taking care of the tension headaches, and uh, and Vicodin, just in case the Excedrin doesn't quite do the job. But I, I don't have to resort to that very often. But I uh, during the summer, I get about seven tension headaches a week. Seven. And during the winter about five, and during the fall and spring, about three or four. So I, I get a lot of them. A whole lot of them. That's that's really my worst recurring health problem, which fortunately still isn't that bad. It's not it's not harmful. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's These headaches are not indicative of a bigger problem. They're just annoying. But, uh, but yeah, during the summer, right now, I, I get about average one a day. I, I take two Excedrin pills in my pocket, down to the World Series events because I know it's likely one is coming. But I'm used to it. I live with it. I inherited it from my mom. So, you know, people go, oh my god, you get seven headaches a week? Yeah, that's, that's, (laughs) I'm used to it. So, um, Crypt asking, Druff, do you exercise? You know, I, I really haven't been. I should be. Because I'm, you know, I'm getting older, and and I know it's important to do for your health. And you know, even though I've lost some weight, uh, that was actually from just reducing the calories that I was taking in, especially from drinks. But uh, but not really from exercising. And I was actually going to um, start exercising at the beginning of the year, and then I broke my ribs, and, and that put me out of commission for 10 weeks, but then, you know, my ribs are totally better now, so there's really no reason I shouldn't be exercising. I just haven't been. Uh, Excedrin does have caffeine in it. It has uh, caffeine, it has aspirin, it has acetaminophen. The acetaminophen is actually a little bit worrisome, because I take so much of those pills, and acetaminophen can do liver damage. But there's nothing I can do. I have to take these pills or the uh, headache just won't go anywhere. And I I really need that combo to knock them out. The aspirin is actually good for me to be taking. And they suggest you take aspirin regularly to prevent heart attacks. And I'll never have that problem because I'll have these headaches so often. I'll never be forgetting to take aspirin. Poor Dragon is saying I'm on uh, Gare's diet of uh, lemon Pepsi and Cheetos. Not quite. Druff, have you seen Abe Masseri? He's lost weight. No, I haven't. But honestly, uh, what I do is... Uh, I, I don't really people watch at these events unless I hear something going on. I, I, I'll people watch at my own table. But uh, I'm not like, oh, look, there's Abe Masseri. I kind of just, you know, I, I go to the events. I, I play them. I get my $10 food voucher and I leave. And um, I, I don't go looking around to see what poker players I see. So, um, any other questions in the chat room? Oh, Lou Father saying, uh, 
What's the story on splitting aces in blackjack? Is it a general rule that you can't hit on them? Yes. Um, or what, what happens with splitting aces is that uh, they just put one card down, and whatever you get, you get. So if you get ace-deuce, you're screwed, and you only have 13, and you can't do anything with it. Uh, very few games will allow you to continue hitting aces after splitting them, but I haven't seen one in ages. Is Durr at the World Series? I haven't seen him, but then again, there's a lot of people I haven't seen that are here. Have you tried Hash House Agogo at the Rio yet? No, I haven't, but it looks interesting. Uh, it replaced a very ordinary cafe called the Sao Paulo Cafe, and Hash House Agogo, it's kind of more trendy, and uh, they, I, I saw there's some kind of weird like farm breakfast, which is like a weird thing with eggs and cookies, a very really odd thing, but I don't know, I've heard good things about it, I just haven't tried it yet. It's only open to like 2 p.m. Maybe I'll use my vouchers for that. These uh, ten dollar vouchers I get every day. Caller, you're on the air. Yo, it's Wolf. Wolf, hello. What's going on? Man, I wanted to respond to uh, the Game of Thrones thread. <laughs> well, the, the Game of Thrones thread is on the forum here. I, I've never discussed Game of Thrones on the show. Yeah, but I mean, I've been banned for the forum for two years, so hell, it's the only way I can respond. Okay, so what do you, what do you want to say about Game of Thrones? Uh, man, I just think the guys are total haters because the theatrics and the the actors are just incredible in the show. And even though there wasn't as much bloodshed this season, it was amazing. Oh. And if you read these guys' uh, posts, it's, they just hate on every little detail that they might find a flaw in. But overall, I think it's a great show. And a lot of people, I believe, would agree with that. I mean, it's not 100%, but it's real solid. Well, okay, I'm, I'm glad you like it. You know, there's people who criticize everything. There's people who uh, have too high of expectations, when in reality, um, if forced to do the same task themselves, we would have a hard time. I see that all the time in poker, where people say, oh, such and such person's terrible, or they played terrible at this at this event, or the, at this ta- final table. And I go, you know what? It's much easier to... Uh, criticize something from the outside than to actually do it yourself and and uh um you know i think that comes to producing shows like games of thrones uh, there have been shows I, I i don't watch that show but there have been shows that have noticeably gone downhill and didn't have to go downhill as much as they did but but a lot of times it's, it's easier for the viewer to just sit at home and say oh i would do this differently that differently when the the writers have and the producers they have to come up with with fresh and new ideas that that are executed well you know every season and it gets tough after a while yeah, that's true, man. Well, either way, that was just my opinion. I appreciate it. Okay, well, thank you, Wolf. That's cool. Peace. All right, so... Uh, Druff, thoughts on the Red Wedding? I don't know what you're talking about. It must be the uh, show I don't watch. So... Um, I, I guess we're about done here. We we extended the show to about three hours. It happened. It wasn't a two-hour show. I think it's a fair time to end. Boy, the, the internet is so bad where I am. There we go. It actually killed the song for a second. There we are again. So, uh, next week, we will be back on the first day of July, July 1st, as I will be taking yet another 
short break from the World Series before returning for the main event, which I'll be playing on July 6th. I do have two more events prior to the main. I have played five events now in the World Series, cash one time. And uh, I will be playing the 10K Limit Hold'em on Thursday, and I will be playing the 1500 No Limit on Saturday, unless I make day three of the Limit Hold'em, which I hope I do. And then nothing until the main. So, kind of short schedule for me this year at the World Series, and hopefully they'll bring back some more Limit Hold'em next year so I can play a little bit more. Thank you very much for listening and for putting up with the lateness of the show. Thank you to the three people who donated to the free roll for our $50 free roll. And uh, Serious is Serious for calling in and telling us about where he is these days in the dressing room. So, remember you can text me, 702-623-1423, anytime, not just during the show, anytime, and I'll read it on the next week's show. I really will. You hear me every time. And if you forget that difficult phone number, just look in the thread and you'll find it. Remember, all these shows appear in the archives within a few hours of when they conclude. So you can always catch whatever you missed. The entire show, right there as if you're listening live. So this is Todd Dandruff Wattellis saying good night. I will see you next week. Hopefully I will catch at least one more time in this damn World Series this year. I will talk to you all then with some more drama at the World Series, I'm sure. Good night, and shalom.